This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning. And for us, uh, we have a, a pretty diverse show today. We're, we're going to, oh, I'd say avoid rugby, but we're going to steer away from it just a wee bit because of the fact that it's just been so hot and uh, pretty depressingly hot, I think, if you can put those two words together over the last two or three days. Not much uh, coming out of uh, NZR in the, the last couple of days, apart from uh, Joe Malcolm, the media boss uh, basically saying that it was her call to cancel the press conference so uh, there was uh, a bit of furor after that wasn't there and, and then of course uh, we wait till uh, I think tomorrow to find out the end result of the meetings uh, and of course uh, the Springbok side to go to South Africa so is that to talk about um, and uh, perhaps we'll, we will open up our lines after 9.30 this morning uh, and you can have that opportunity to uh, to perhaps express your views on who you think should come and go out of the All Blacks because at the end of the day, whilst the focus has been on uh, Ian Foster, there's still a new team to be selected and uh, who will be in and who will be out. Maybe your calls after 9.30. But prior to that, I'm really pleased to say we've got Jane Patterson uh, coming to us. Now, Jane is the Chief Operating Officer for the New Zealand side of the FIFA Women's World Cup. It's a year to the day till it begins. How exciting. Uh, so we'll catch up with Jane very shortly. Uh, we'll have a multi. Uh, we'll have Hugh Bain on uh, coming to us uh, about basketball in this country. Very special time for women's basketball with Tawiki, of course, uh, being launched this year. Just how's that going? Sam Ackerman, Brad Lewis, the panel this morning. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we've got uh, uh, an update with uh, Andrew Voss. Now, we usually speak to Vossi, of course, about the NRL on a Monday. Monday was so chocker full of uh, rugby that we just didn't have time. So Vossi's coming into us after 11 o'clock this morning. A stump smithy, just the regular uh, pieces of, uh, of play for us throughout the morning as well. But uh, let's uh, get stuck into the show uh, and let's talk women's football. <laughs> Well, as I said, today marks one year until uh, FIFA Women's World Cup kicks off in New Zealand and Australia. Dual hosts, of course, in what is being heralded as a tournament of firsts. It's the FIFA first in the Southern Hemisphere, the first to be co-hosted across two federations, plus it will be the first to feature 32 teams after France, a 2019 played host, to just 24 uh, women's football appears to be going from strength to strength, which uh, will please our next guest greatly. Uh, joining us on the line, as I said, New Zealand's Chief Operating Officer for this big event, Jane Patterson. Jane, good morning to you, and uh, thanks uh, for giving us a bit of your time. Good morning to you, and thank you for having me. Jane, uh, a year out. It's getting real, isn't it? It certainly is. I was just thinking this morning as I was preparing for this one year to go that it's 
just over two years since um, New Zealand and Australia won won the bid, and here we are, one year to go, and wake up tomorrow and say we're inside inside a year. So super exciting. It absolutely is, and of course you've just had a taste of uh, women's football, um, and just to get you uh, warmed up for the event because you've been at the women's Euro. I understand where they've had some really big crowds over there. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, had had the great fortune of being at a match last Monday in in Brighton, and sat in a packed stadium. You know, thirty one thousand seats. You know, massive excitement. Lots of women and girls and men, boys there to enjoy it. And the atmosphere was just absolutely incredible. And the quality of football that was being played was you know amazing. I think they thought that the bookies had that match against Norway. At, Three to two, but uh, but they took it out eight eight nil. So it was an incredible experience, and I just sat there and thought, wow, this is what we've got to look forward to. This is what New Zealanders have got to look forward to. And I pictured myself sitting in Eden Park at the opening ceremony on the twentieth of July in twenty twenty three. Would be absolutely uh, fantastic if we could uh, pack Eden Park for that. And I've got a sneaky suspicion. Uh, and I, I'm touching you all of what I can in my studio here with the basis that nothing gets in the way of this, which we've had in the last few years. We're going to be inundated with football fans from around the world. We certainly are. You know, we've got, um, this is 32 teams playing 64 matches over 32 days across nine cities and two countries. So it's big. And, you know, the country in New Zealand, as we live, we're great fortune to live in a sports bad nation. Um, and I've got no doubt that New Zealanders are just going to get behind us and love uh, what, what they're going to experience when they see the quality of football. Um, those are the images we've been seeing, right, recently with sold-out stadiums, um, players becoming household names. And that's what New Zealanders have, have got to look forward to right here on our home soil. And that's unique. And I know, I just know that New Zealand is going to get behind it and love it. Well, we're starting to see the football ferns play a lot more games. And uh, fortunately, we can see quite a few of them on television as well. But the shame has been, Jane, of course, that we haven't been able to welcome teams to our country for uh, the best part of uh, three years, which means we're, it's, it's very hard to either to create a profile, but it's very hard to understand or get to know our players. So you've got a job, I guess, uh, within, within the group to, to make sure we can make those people more recognisable, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that's how community engage, isn't it? It's, it's when they get to know the players, they recognise them, they follow their stories. And so we'll be working very closely with New Zealand football and, um, and making sure that we do have that opportunity. And we announced that recently with the um, New Zealand football Burns paying a couple of friendlies um, in February next year. And that's going to be the opportunity to get a bit of a taster of what's to come um, in July with the, with the tournament. But most importantly, it's just an opportunity to engage those communities so that they can get to know these players and, and follow their journey to the FIFA Women's World Cup. So when they sit in the stands and they're, you know, they're dressed in their colours and they're supporting their team, they, they know um, who they're supporting. And that's, that's the job we've got to do and, and we'll do it. We'll do it well. Uh, Jane, we've also got, of course, um, to finalise the, the the actual. We know the number of teams, but we don't know the actual participants as yes, because there's a, a playoff tournament to be played between ten nations, uh, and we'll get some of that here, won't we, as well? Yeah, we're going to have the playoff tournament um, in Hamilton, Kitakiri Rua, and Auckland Tamaki Makara next year in February, and that's the last ten 
um, 10 teams vying for the last three spots. Um, but before then, we've got the uh, the draw on the 22nd of October in, in Auckland, Tamaki Makara, and that's when we're going to get a real sense of um, on which side of the Tasman are these 32 teams going to live, and so which which of the countries will reside in New Zealand for the um, for the group stage matches. So we're really looking forward to that day. And at that time, uh, you'll launch your ticket sales. We will. We're, lo- we're actually we're launching our ticket sales on the 6th of October, which is um, fantastic news. And tickets are going to start at $20 for adults, $10 for children. So, you know, our commitment in is to make sure that this is an inclusive tournament, that any New Zealander that wants to be able to go into the stadium, support their teams, are going to be able to do that. So we've priced it um, to ensure that we've got a fr- family-friendly tournament uh you know in a sports mad nation and now tell us about uh, the four venues you've uh, picked for new zealand please so we've got uh auckland tamaki makoto um hamilton kitigurua where we are um this morning after a beautiful uh, dawn ceremony um to mark the one year to go and then we've got uh wellington and also down south in dunedin but then outside of our match um, host cities, we've got 31, around 31 training sites uh, around the country. And some of those are in our match cities and others are in regions um, outside of the match cities. So that's going to give New Zealanders the opportunity from, you know, the north right down south um, to touch this, uh, this tournament in some form, if not in a stadium or watching it on television then perhaps down at a training site watching the quality of the, the girls' uh, training uh, b- before they play their big matches. Jane, I was reading uh, an article about the Unity pitch uh, as part of your um, your launch and part of your build-up for this. Could you explain a wee bit about the Unity pitch? Well, that, the Unity, Unity pitch is, you know, we always say that sports unifies nations, don't they? And so the Unity pitch is, at the moment, it's in Australia. That's how they're launching um, they're one year to go in, in Sydney this morning. We will have the Unity pitch um, here in and around um, the draw in October. And that's the opportunity to take a symbol um, and that, that, as I said, symbolises the, the unity that comes from the great game, football. OK, the, the volunteers. I mean, all tournaments, all world tournaments, whether it be the Olympics, uh, all the way down to wherever, requiring uh, volunteers. What kind of volunteer base you're looking from where are they going to come from we're looking for volunteers across all of uh, all of the regions particularly in the match cities but then also in some of those regions i talked about where our training sites are we're about to launch our volunteer program next next month um and you know that'll be roles from in stadium uh the administrative side of it out at training sites and ibc's broadcast you know but the, I always say with major events, they don't happen without the volunteers. And the volunteers bring that spirit. They bring that welcoming um, moment for people when they're arriving in stadiums. So I think we're looking at about 5,000 um, volunteers across both countries um, come 2023. Uh, the Cricket World Cup, uh, Jane, as you well know, we just had it this year in this country at the uh Regardless of the fact we had uh, COVID restrictions on some of the venues for quite some time, it still re- was regarded as a, a very successful uh, event portrayed uh, pretty well around the world. So uh, did you look at that? Uh, I understand you might even have been in, uh, involved in that uh, in some capacity as well. 
Uh, I wasn't involved in it other than to um, support uh, Andrea Nelson and, and her team in, in the delivery of it. I mean, we've, New Zealand's got this unique opportunity where we're hosting three Women's World Cups across rugby, cricket and, and football. So we've, we've worked closely between the three of us and tried to identify ways that we can support with each other, you know, sharing best practice, um, getting ideas of what one another can do. I mean, what I witnessed was something incredibly successful given the constraints that they were working in um, and and it was an example of the fact that New Zealanders are interested and love sport we will get out to support sport the stadium that I was in when I went and saw the cricket twice you know they had great fans and a great great fan base supporting them so I was involved directly but I certainly was there supporting along the way uh, Jane Patterson, fan engagement, match day experience, that's a bit of a catchphrase thing when we come to big events these days. So uh, how are you going to uh, try and ensure that, bearing in mind that your, your family-type um, perspective you've got of, of groups coming to this event? Well, I, I turned my eye to what I saw in, um, in England last week, um, and that was fan, fan festivals or fan parties, as they were known over there, so the opportunity to bring family and friends together into one area, face painting for the kids, merchandise that, you know, allows them to wear the colours um, of their of their teams and support their teams. And just, you know, the music, the atmosphere and, and, and ensuring that where we can, um, both in the lead up to um, the tournament and at other opportunities is have, have the players accessible um, to community groups and school groups so that um, the engagement that they have come tournament time is, you know, they're recognisable and, and, and they know them. But but we'll be working hard to ensure that, that the experience isn't just what is felt in the stadium. It's, it's literally all the way through from buying your ticket to getting home at the end and celebrating what a great experience you've had. And, of course, I guess uh, the... The overriding goal is to get more young women playing football, young girls who want to look at superstars and, and, and say, I want to be in that tournament in 10 years' time. I, I guess that, that is the ultimate goal for the growth of the game. That's right. And, you know, they, they, as the saying goes, if you can see it, you can be it. And that's what New Zealand football's legacy goals is all about. I think they're, they're committed to have more women and girls playing in fact, I think they had a participation goal of about 7% year-on-year growth. Um, and, you know, we look at the example of the Wellington Phoenix um, who joined the A-League um, woman in 2021, and they became the first professional um, side in Oceania. And so that's a really good example of the legacy outcome that was fast-tracked um, as a result of this tournament, which gives, you know, Kiwi players a professional pathway. So they're all the sorts of things that... Um, that New Zealand football will be working very hard on to ensure that at the end of the FIFA Women's World Cup in August next year, when that packs up to, um, to, to go to the next venue, that the legacy is lasting um, in New Zealand and, and felt right across the board. Jane, uh, for those people that are unable to get to venues, etc., that uh, want to watch it on, on television, who are your broadcast partners and um, how that's pan- how's that panning out? 
Um, so Sky Television is our broadcast partner with a, with a commitment to, to free-to-air as part of that, which we will um, provide more details on uh, closer to the time. But there will be no excuse not to not to be involved in this tournament. As I said, if you're not in a stadium, um, you could be at a fan festival or you could be sitting at home watching it on television. I think one of the um, most interesting things about women fo- women's football in the world, Jane, is the profile of of how it's growing. But that has been led by uh, the women's team from the United States, which have achieved uh, pay supremacy in some areas over their men's counterparts. Uh, I'm not quite sure we quite grasp how big this this is going to be for a lot of countries as yet. I I, I don't disagree with you and I, I think that the size and scale and the magnitude of this tournament um, isn't necessarily felt right now but I think what we're experiencing as you said for what we're seeing coming from overseas the storytelling that's been told around these sold out stadiums the quality of football and as I said these household these women that are becoming household names it's coming we're starting to you know, read that and, and that's that's what's starting to educate um, New Zealanders and then you back that up with the opportunity to see some of the best in the world do what they do on home soil um, and the, through the playoff tournament and the football fans playing their friendly matches there's certainly going to be an opportunity to um, gather and understand better just how big how big the tournament will be. How many whiteboards you got in your office, and and uh, how many how many things have you got on there with dates lo- uh, and qu- uh, exclamation marks alongside them? <laughs> you don't want to know how many whiteboards are across our whole office, um, but um, and and there's, and there's certainly a lot of dot points on there. Ian. But you know we're in good shape. We're, we're you know the pandemic has has been challenging, no doubt. You know it's been challenging for everyone, but it is what it is. You know, and we've worked our way through it. And now we've got whiteboards that are covered with fantastic ideas about how we ensure that we deliver this on time and something that's world-class that New Zealanders will just never forget. No, I don't think they quite realise how special it's going to be. And when it's over, I think they'll get the message, Jane. Uh, Fantastic to have you on. Um, Tomorrow morning you'll wake up, it'll be 364 days. So uh, I wish you all the best with uh, the preparation as it stands now. uh, And we'll, of course, want to catch up with you as things progress uh, for this amazingly popular and exciting event. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and look forward to catching up again. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Jane Patterson there, Chief Operating Officer for the New Zealand arm of the FIFA Women's World Cup, launched this morning at a dawn service uh, in Hamilton. Uh, They have a unity pitch uh, coming across from Australia, which uh, will include fan engagement, etc. Just to give you some idea, folks, uh, the opening crowd for the first uh, game uh, of the Women's Euro England against Austria was 68,871 at the ground. 68,871 at the ground. Uh, and uh, the Women's El Clasico uh, in Spain, 91,000 watched Barcelona play Real Madrid. 91,000 people turned up to watch Barcelona women's team play the Real Madrid women's team. Uh, and Barcelona later in, uh, in Euro played uh, Wolfsburg, 91,600. And the viewing audience for the last Women's World Cup in France, 1.12 billion broadcast visits. 1.12 billion broadcast visits. It'll only get bigger, and we're part of it. And that's how exciting it is. 
You know how uh, during the day sometimes you turn the tap on and there's no water there because they're doing maintenance down the road and it gets up your nose? It really does because you can't uh, have a cup of tea or have a shower or whatever and then uh, you find out about two hours later that it's going to come back on. Well, that's uh, what we're having with our, um, our people in Dunedin at the moment. We're having a little bit of an adjustment down there to our frequency to fine-tune it. So uh, we're off air in, in that respect, but you can... Um, if you're, uh, you can listen on the app, of course, download the app uh, and get into it that way. So uh, we apologise. We'll be back as soon as possible, as they say. Uh, right, OK, uh, Fight for Life coming up uh, this uh, weekend. It's massive, absolutely massive. Dean Lonergan and the crew, uh, uh, sorry, uh, tomorrow night, uh, and his uh, son, Dan, uh, Liam Lonergan, have put together a great show. They had a press conference yesterday, weigh-ins and all that sort of thing. Uh, and our Ricardo Ball, our intrepid Ricardo Ball, uh, popped along to that and caught up with Honey Hiramie Smiler, who is in combat tomorrow night. Uh, honey, of course, a big week for you, mate. I mean, not only have you got Fight for Life on Thursday, but big news came out yesterday about your new role with New Zealand Rugby League. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it has been a big week. And, um, you know, this is probably, I suppose, the, the cream of the crop now. It's sort of relax time and then wait for Thursday night. But, yeah, on the on the board role, I'm pretty, pretty uh, honoured to, to take that role on and, and looking forward to that. Yeah, it seems like New Zealand Rugby League uh, really diversifying as well. I mean, the news about your role comes a day after you know, uh, New Zealand Māori Rugby League finally get a seat on the board as well, a long time in coming. Yeah, I mean, I really like what New Zealand Rugby League are doing and, you know, bringing the um, Aotearoa Māori Rugby League on board because they've, you know, probably um, been so, I suppose, uh, forward in terms of their development and what they've done for Rugby League over many, many years and you see the likes of their tournaments having, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, like, kids right through to adults showing up at their their weekend tournaments. So I think it's great and, you know, for New Zealand Rugby League to change their Constitution to bring them on board. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, we should we should talk fights because it is, we're here to talk fight for life. Um, and of course, the I Am Hope Foundation, Burger King, on board with this one. When you got asked to, to, to join in this, was there any trepidation from your end? Uh, a little bit. Like I never really had boxing on my to-do list, mm-hmm. but I, I was always a fan of the sport and I'd watch Fight for Life, you know, way back when and stuff, and always respected people that got in the ring. Um, but yeah, I just thought, like you know, I've been training just sort of in the background, nothing real hard out. But I thought, oh, well, this will give me something to train for. Yeah, so I thought, oh yeah, I'll just give it a crack and see how I go. How long have you had to train for this fight? Yeah, about seven, eight weeks. Um, but probably, yeah, probably about a solid seven weeks. Um, just because when Monty called me, I had COVID, so that kind of put me on on the outer for a couple of weeks. Actually, I struggled with COVID. But then I was able to get some decent training in, and yeah, it's just been a completely different uh, training uh, schedule and, and mindset. And it, you, compared to rugby, you know, where you, where you get a little bit of rest, like you don't get rest in boxing. So it's, it's been really challenging, but I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, have, you talked about up there um, about being punched in the face and things. Yeah. I mean, how much fight experience have you had, whether that be on the field or um, <laughs> or in the ring? Oh, I suppose I was a bit of a, um, what do you say, a, t- a town bully back in my uh, younger days, back in Pataru, my little hometown. But um, no, I haven't had any experience. Uh, I mean, Kairos had me inspiring for the last uh, three or four weeks. And yeah, I learned pretty quickly how to, um, I mean, I could throw a punch, but it wasn't doing very well at defending defending them and so just sort of standing there taking them but I, I wanted to know that I could take one as well so that's been like a real learning curve and yeah I've definitely seen my progression and you know, the, the ones that I've been sparring with um, down there you know even their feedback to me is like oh shit you've improved massively uh, yeah and, and just the fitness side of it is pretty intense too. 
Yep, honey, had a me smile there. Great all-rounder, uh, terrific administrator, commentator, and now boxer, fighter, and fight for life tomorrow night. Uh, and we wish them all the best for that. It's 9.31 here on SENZ, and time for Araha with the news. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800-150-811. Yes, indeed. Uh, your opportunity to call us, uh, 0800-150-811 is uh, that number. And we've got uh, Neville from uh, Dunedin on the phone this morning. Nev, good morning to you. Uh, we're just couple of days since uh, Cameron Smith, of course, uh, winning that uh, Open Championship, and now we're hearing all sorts of headlines that he is a genuine target for Greg Norman and his cohorts. He sure is. <laughs> well, I just wanted to drill down on um, why he won um, and the key moments, which um, his his brain was working so well. On 17, the road hole, um, he ended up just below the bunker. Um, and a lot of players before him had played what you would normally play a, a try, play a high little lob shot. And uh, he got his putter out. And I think a lot of people would have thought, oh, what's he doing? And of course, he he... he he knew he wasn't going to be right near the hole, um, but he thought, no, I'm putting well and I'm going to take bogey out of play, and, and that's what he did. He putted up beside the bunker, and the ball did come around a little bit, and I forget how long it was. It would have been about 10, 12 feet. Um, mm. And your odds of getting that are probably, in his case, 2 out of 10. But he drilled it, and he... I mean, players before him had actually played the chip and it had gone too far, rolled off onto the road and they ended up with bogey and double bogey. So that that was a real key moment. And then, of course, on the 18th, um, he had had a really good shot to get up as close as he did. So there was every possibility that um, Cameron Young, who seems to have hardly been mentioned, um, Mm. he could have won it. Just like that. Um, and Young actually uh, saved nine shots on the last round. Cameron saved eight. But the problem for Cameron was he had a double bogey every round. So um, they, they, as a pair, they were just brilliant. Uh, 15 under for two players in one round is, is pretty impressive. Um well, but we had uh, we had Neville, we had David Belsky, who's a uh, Belisky, who's a, uh, a golf pundit, uh, a golf strategist, and uh, he studies it inside out. He said to us about uh, three days out from the tournament, the winning score will be twenty under. The winning score will be twenty under. The winning score was twenty under. David Belisky is an absolute genius um, in that respect. So uh, yeah, and twenty unders. 20 under is quite, quite a, a decent mark in that kind of tournament, bearing in mind that the wins usually play a factor, Neville. That's right. And, and fortunately, I guess in a way, the win didn't have a lot of, a, a lot of effect. But, but 
unfortunately, well, fortunately, I don't know how people look at it, um, St Andrews has become very gettable when it's not windy and, and they were a bit worried about that, I think. But in the end, does it really matter as long as it's the same for everyone? But just looking at yep. Smith going to live, um, Greg Norman has had a huge influence on the, on the lives of Cameron, uh, Mark Leishman, Adam Scott, the whole three of them, because... He took a huge interest in them as youngsters. And, you know, after they play an event, Greg would be on the phone talking to them. And there is a thought that you could see all three Aussies go to live or none. Um, and that would be huge if Cameron Smith went. But the, there's a lot of things happening there. Um, and the way the... Um, oh, I don't know, the PGA Tour and, and DP have approached things does leave you wondering a little bit. For them to make yeah. the announcement about, you know, banning them from the majors right during the event, it, it just doesn't help the feelings of people generally, I don't think. Um, and yeah. some of the live players have now actually spoken finally. There's quite a few of them, Patrick Reed, um, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, you can run through them all, Sergio, what? They just say, yeah. why don't they sit on and talk? Why doesn't Jay Monahan just for once listen and, and just sit down and talk and, and see if we can sort well, this thing I, I, out? I think it'll come to that, Neville. Thank you very much for your call this morning, but yeah, massive carrot, massive carrot, something like 90 million US. Uh, apparently, they've offered uh, Cameron Smith on the back of that one. Dean uh, from Dunedin, who deals in those numbers anyway. Dean, uh, good morning to you, mate. Yeah, I don't know why we even bothered worrying about it, mate, to be fair. The players will go where the money is. They always have since Adam was a cowboy. You can't blame them. It's their living. They've got a family. They don't want to work any longer than they have to. So if I was offered that kind of money, I'd give up hitting nails on as well. But I'm no good at nothing. Never mind. It is what it is. But when I finished work yesterday, Smithy, I got home, the old law courts and the Women's rugby was on the TV, the NPC. I thought, oh, I've never really watched much of that. So have a wee bit of a look. There was no one at it. We've got a World Cup coming up here in a couple of months. Now, the Champion of the World shop in Dunedin closed because we didn't get the, well, it didn't, not cause of it, but it didn't help. They make 160 grand when the South African game was going to be in Dunedin out of sales of merchandise, and nothing happened. So... That shop had to fold. So I managed to get four jerseys, New Zealand Ferns jerseys, for 45 bucks each. But I can't for the life of me figure out why this tournament is being played Auckland North. Like, Canterbury were pretty damn good for a while at women's rugby. Manawatu was sneaking up there, and Waikato have had a bit of a crack at it. But how come those the powers that be decided we'll have a World Cup in New Zealand and they're trying to grow a game. And a lot of us down here have had a guts full of what Auckland are doing. And have ever since I started playing the game. In the 80s, we loved them because those are unreal. But they've never looked like that since. But what, I don't get that. And what are the ticket sales like for that tournament? Like a lot of overseas people will be coming, I guess. So that'll fill a lot of the games. But there was no one at that women's NPC that I watched in the weekend that was on Sky Sport yesterday about 4 o'clock when I got to the pub. There was no one there. Mm. Right, okay. Um, we did put it uh, to them that uh, they perhaps 
uh, might have made a mistake in having those uh, two venues in Whangarei and uh, Auckland, and there's two venues within Auckland, just by the by, one at, at uh, Waitakere, one at Eden Park. Um, and at that point, they were pretty adamant they'd made the right call, but they did uh, also bear in mind the fact that uh, a lot of New Zealand was missing out on the whole thing, and they were hoping that New Zealanders would travel. So um, I'm not quite sure that that is uh, going to happen. Um, you know, this is also at a time when, uh, Dino, the, the, uh, the Black Ferns were going through a bit of a trough, and there was all sorts of things happening behind the scenes. Since then, of course, they've got Wayne Smith on board. They've uh, struck a, a winning note. We don't quite know how good they are until they come up against England and France and how much ground they've made up. But you're right. I mean, that's going to be their biggest thing, I think, is, is, is filling the stadiums. And they had, you know, when you have an event like that, you've got to take it to the people. And, and we've just spoken to Jane Patterson, uh, who's the CEO of uh, FIFA uh, World Cup in New Zealand, and Dino and, and Forsyth Bars, the stadium. It's, a, it's an absolute serious venue uh, down there, and I think it'll go well. But we're not going to get any game. This is what I'm saying. Like, if if that stadium was built in Christchurch, there'd be games mm. there. Like, I think it's tokenism by the NZRFU that we even get games in the South Island. I'll never admit that, but I honestly think it is. And this that decision kind of proves it. Like, there's some quite good things to look at down here too for the touring people that are coming to New Zealand. Like, it's not just Auckland that needs a bit of dough. You know, the law courts, for an example. I know this for a fact. It's not a real busy bar, you know. It's a great wee pub, but it's not a real busy bar. But the All Blacks Ireland second test, they would have made a year's bar takings in one night. I could yeah. you not. So if that women's yeah. rugby, everywhere needs it, not just Auckland. Like when Auckland, when they open up the borders and that and Auckland got COVID, they all bugger off. They don't even stay at home and support all the businesses that have been closed. They all fly to Wanaka or wherever they want to go. So yeah. Aucklanders don't want to stay there either. There's just good money to be made there. That, that, that's such a huge dropping of the ball, if you ask me. Like, we're supposed to be growing rugby, not keeping everything in Auckland or north of Auckland or whatever they seem to want to do. I think you've made a very good point there, Dean. Um, and uh, I, I think the key thing you said there is they need it. Those venues, those other venues need it. And they do. They need it. Um, they need the hospitality. They, they, they need the accommodation. They need to be rewarded after going through COVID with all those uh, particular restrictions and having absolutely nil income. They need to have an opportunity to get some of that back and in the Rugby Women's World Cup as such, by not taking it around the country and spreading it to arms a wee bit, are denying a lot of people that. It's an excellent point, Dean. Thanks for that this morning. Zaid, uh, Zaid from Auckland. Uh, can I uh, ask what's on your mind today, Zaid? Uh, good morning, Smitty. Um, which is on my mind. I'm not sure if you've got anything from the press conference yesterday, but it's um, fight for life. I'm going tomorrow night. I'm a big fan of Kevin Mielamu, so that's what's drawn me in. But then... I've also seen a bit of Andre Mikhailovich, is what, which has got me a bit excited. I know he's on a celebrity, and then you've also got um, another funny fight. Well, a funny fight for me will be uh, Jay Reeve versus Tammy Davis. Obviously, Jay Reeve from The Rock, Tammy Davis from George FM. Um, that honey um, hit him in a smile fight will be quite good against uh, Tegan, who works on My FM. So, yeah, there's a few funny fights. You've also got Carlos Spencer, which I think I heard last time. And Fight for Life, he got pretty hammered by Monty Beefham. Um, you've also got Liam Messam, who's already had a few fights. So I'm quite, yeah, quite look ex- quite excited for the fights tomorrow night. Um, 
And I just want to go something about rugby. Um, have you heard about uh, is it Eddie Jones once Australia wanted for director of rugby? And then I've also heard um, Kivi Mialami wants to go for the councillor of Auckland. So, yeah. Okay, a couple of nice rumours there, Zaid. A couple of really nice rumours for us to latch on to at some point. Uh, enjoy Fight for Life. Want to report about it on uh, Friday if you can uh, possibly call in to us. Uh, Zaid, we'd love to hear how uh, you felt it went to, tomorrow night. Uh, have we got time for Joey? Uh, Joey from Auckland. Um, Joey, real quickly, uh, can, uh, can I ask what's on your mind, mate? Over here. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. I'm not sure he's uh, still there, actually. So we'll wait for... If Joey can call back tomorrow, that would be absolutely great. We're running short of time anyway, so... Oh, I think Joey's still there. Sorry. Okay, have a crack, mate. Yeah, sorry, mate. No, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, what a fantastic job you guys are doing. Uh, you know, i just like to comment on that um, just before. I just want to have a quick talk about the cricket. But, you know, it's, uh, when we lost uh, Radio Sport, you guys are just doing a fantastic job, right from the presenters to the producers, mate. It's been fantastic, you know? I mean... To listen to you guys and 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 um and get all all the sports stuff and everything, it's just been absolutely brilliant. I mean, this is what New Zealand's all about: rugby, racing, and beer, and and, and league, and whatever. You know, it, it, honestly, it's fantastic, Smithy. But just on the cricket, do you think that that the the minnows? Oh, I'm saying I'm not saying Ireland's probably a minnow now, but do you think they're getting they're getting better, or are we just getting stagnant? You know, the black cats. I think what's happening is, um, you know, what happens is, is there's so much cricket going on around the world that uh, players tend to get rested from time to time. Joey, I think this is a factor. Uh, and so, therefore, that is by far uh, a long way away from our strongest T20 side in Ireland, our strongest one-day international side in Ireland. Uh, four or five of our key players are home. Uh, you know, it's as simple as that. Uh, so, you know, Conway, Williamson, Salvi, Bolt, uh, these are absolutely massive factors in whatever we do in cricket are not there. Uh, so clearly that's going to, uh, in terms of uh, us, dilute our quality of our side. And it, it, by having them not there, it mentally lifts the opposition. So they're going to push us, they're going to go at us, they're going to think they can cause the upset on any given day. That is what's happening in, in cricket at the moment, Joey. That's the spread of the game. Uh, I think, yes, they are getting better, but not to the extent of some of these results. That's the way I look at it. Thanks for your call, mate. Uh, and thanks for your uh, tribute to the station. No good without you people. Um, whatever we do is nothing without you. 9.47 here on SENZ. Text from uh, Peter Hummer. Uh, this fella is on to it, talking about Dino. New Zealand rugby, we love women's rugby. Also New Zealand rugby, how about all World Cup games in Auckland and Wong, Whangarei, clueless? Well, uh, I, I'm with you now. I think they're probably regretting that decision. It's all very well to have nice cheap ticket prices, as they will do. But it's not much good if you've got to shell out 700 bucks, you know, with airfares and accommodation to go and watch a game. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't quite get how a global event of this nature can't even be spread uh, any further than Whangarei and Auckland. And the closer it gets to that, I think this, it's going to be more exposed. But that's just me. Uh, hi, Smithy. Uh, where was Foster's leadership in fronting up at half time to be interviewed? Plumtree lacked any clarity on what they needed to change during the interview. Cheers, Paul. Uh, Paul, um, I can tell you right here now, the head coach never goes to the halftime interviews. Uh, so it wasn't the fact that he wasn't going to front up. He never has to. They never have. And since the year dot, it's always been an assistant coach that goes into that room at halftime. Um, and you give them one opportunity, really. You've got about a 30-second window to try and get something out of them. So you try and just say things along, what have you talked about in the room? Or, you know, what is your plan from here on in? And hope that they will evolve that. And you're right. Uh, it didn't sound like John Plumtree had... 
uh, a lot of uh, definity about what he was saying. Um, uh, Jim from Tamuka says, uh, happy birthday to all at SENZ. Smithy and cheers to SEN for live sports day and night. And the therapy sessions afterwards, it helps to keep me abnormal. Jim from Tamuka, a regular from the show from day one. Thanks for that, Jim. Uh, we shall be back very shortly with a multi. Right, multi, uh, we're still going in the one from uh, two days ago, actually. Still waiting for a, a couple of events in the uh, women, uh, the World Cup, the Athletics World Cup to uh, unfold, and that's the men's 200 metres and uh, the women's 200 metres, where we've got uh, bets going on those. Uh, so today, National League to beat the American League. Uh, that is in uh, the baseball uh, all-star game uh, being played in the California, Anaheim. Uh, so National League to beat the American League. Uh, and tennis uh, and the ATP in Hamburg, uh, Kitchenoff to beat Fognini. Fognini got through the other day to help us with our multi, uh, $1.48. Uh, and in the women's high jump today, pretty short um, favourite, Yaroslava uh, Mahuchik. Yaroslava Mahuchik at $1.20 just to complement our multi to get it out to $3.25. $3.25. Uh, we've got Hugh Bainan after the break. Uh, Hugh Bainan, of course, uh, is all over basketball in New Zealand as uh, an administrator, a fan and a commentator. Hugh next. Uh, 10.03 in basketball now. The Sales NBL is going full steam ahead into the final rounds before the finals weekend takes place at Event Finder Stadium in Auckland next month. There are just three rounds remaining in the regular season and competition for a top six finish to qualify for the postseason is heating up. Meanwhile, uh, the GJ Gardner Toi'i Basketball Aotearoa is going great guns as well in its uh, inaugural season. Highlighted by Tiana Clark's uh, record-breaking performance uh, for the final Sunday, dropping 11 three-pointers, the most in professional women's basketball in New Zealand. Joining us now is uh, the general manager of both leagues, uh, Hugh Bainan. Hugh, good morning to you. We're almost at the end of the third round of uh, Tauihi. How has the new league been received by both the players and the basketball community at large? Good morning, Smithy. Uh, better than I think we ever expected, which is you know, been so awesome to see. I've been lucky enough to be around at most of the games in person and talking to the players and coaches and fans. And, yeah, it's gone down so well. Obviously, exclamation point put on it on Sunday by Tiana, which was uh, incredible to see and awesome to be at. Um, so, and that, you know, that got overseas interest as well. So, no, it's going really well. The, the, the players, you know, I can't speak for all of them, but the ones I've spoken to are just enjoying it, loving it, loving being in the professional environment, loving traveling home and away to games with, you know, world-class coaches and teammates, and uh, it's going really well. Okay, so uh, these things are often uh, governed or guided by attendance and viewing numbers. How are they looking? Yeah, good. You know, attendance is certainly better than we thought uh, they would be in Toihi. You know, started off with a hit and a roar in a sold-out stadium in Christchurch. This Saturday at Christchurch Arena, uh, they're expecting 6,000 people at the game. It's a doubleheader with the uh, Poakai taking on the Kahu first, followed by the uh, Canterbury Rams taking on the Nelson Giants in the South NBL. So a sold-out Christchurch Arena awaits on Saturday, which would be the biggest, uh, we would be, we think, the uh, biggest ever crowd for a women's game uh, in New Zealand. So uh, fingers crossed they can get that done. They've sold over 5,000 tickets already, so that's huge. But you know, generally around the country, it's been really good, you know, and, and good with a tough schedule because of the overlap with the men's, which wasn't supposed to happen but did because of uh, COVID that we had to put the men's season back. 
you know, these Tohi games are on tough nights. They're Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, Monday night at 7 o'clock. That's not great timing um, for kids or anything like that, or even for adults with work the next day. So even up against those circumstances, the crowds have been really good. You've got uh, an unbeaten side in the northern Kahu, and you've got a side in the southern Hoiho who have yet to win. Are you um, overall uh, pretty happy with the spread of the talent, the way the franchises have shaped up? Yeah, and they've, they've had a tough down south. You know, they've had a couple of really close losses, and they get better and better every time they take the court. Uh, they've had a little bit of disruption. They've had a little bit of injury as well. And, you know, such is sport. We'd love every game to be super close and every league to be super close. And we're certainly getting there with the men. And But the other four teams at the moment, and even the Hoiho who are pushing everyone right now, uh, the games are close, the games are tight. This Kahu side is relentless, though, led by Talia Tupaya. They are just uh, not slowing down and uh, just taking taking apart everyone they meet. But, you know, it's the top four make the, make the playoffs, so anything can happen uh, on the final weekend. Tonight, uh, as you mentioned, there are uh, differing nights for because of uh, the scheduling, etc. But uh, Southern Hoiho tonight have a chance uh, to break their duck against the Tokomanawa Queens. Uh, have they got a chance in Dunedin? Yeah, I think they certainly have. You know, the Queens have been a little bit hot and cold as well. Um, had a bit of injury themselves. So this is a real chance for the Hoyo down in Dunedin uh, to get their first win. Um, I think the neutral would be hoping they, they would for, you know, just to see them. They're working so hard down there. They're playing some good basketball. Uh, so it'll be a close one. And uh, the Northern Kahu are undefeated so far, as we mentioned, winning all six of their games. Their coach, Jody Cameron, has some impressive players on her side. Uh, what chance do the mainland Puakai have uh, when they meet? Yeah, so the Puakai, you know, you know, they were probably pre-season favourites. Uh, they've had a lot of disruption. Obviously, Elafotu and Mary Golden went away with the 3x3. They've had a little bit of injury as well. But this Kahu side have surprised people. Talia Tupai has come in and, you know, we knew she was good, but she has... She has been the star player in this competition so far, uh, along with their you know, band of Kiwis as well. Their guards are fantastic. They've got big Madison Wolf down low. They all play like Jody Cameron used to play. They are tough. They are physical. Uh, they don't take any prisoners. So um, it's going to be a tough game. But the Puakai, they run real deep. Uh, they've had their hot and cold moments, um, but they run really deep. So this is going to be, you know, potential, the two best teams going at each other. Uh, I've been watching some of uh, the action, of course, um, in both leagues. Um, Stephen Adams there? was. Did I see Stephen Adams? Yeah, Stephen Adams was in Tauranga last night at the fire game, yeah, which was great to see. You know, so many of these young, the young Kiwi players have gone through his camps and his academies uh, over the past few years, so they would have been absolutely buzzing to see him sitting courtside. In, in classic, you know, understated Stephen Adams fashion, you know, it wasn't publicised. He just snuck in and sat down and watched the game, but... Uh, the, the players would have been absolutely buzzing to see him there. If, if I had to pick an MVP on the games that I've seen so far, and Michaela Cox would be right up there. What a season she's having in clutch situations. She's 36 years old as well. It's phenomenal. And, you know, we, we talked about it before and when we first announced this league that um, it's, it's, it's for a lot of people, but it's for people just like her who haven't had the chance to play at home in a, in a league that matched their talent. Uh, and now she has, and she's making the most of it. And I know the Kahu, all their youngsters, you know, they're learning so much off Michaela Cox, and she's the real, you know, the the beating heart of that team and that organisation already. So, uh, and it's showing on the court. They look uh, impressive out for I've got to say. Can we switch now to the Sal's uh, NBL, Hugh, uh, for a moment or two? The Giants, Nelson Giants, are on top of the table, which will please uh, you and your commentary partner, Phil Jones, I'm sure. 
Um, but it's it's been a bit, a bit of a topsy turvy competition. It's been hard to get a run on or uh, run a form on some of these sides. Um, is it is it are Nelson the favourites this far out in your mind now? Oh, that's such a tough question. Um, topsy turvy is the word, right? There's no easy games out there. It's, it's literally anyone can beat anyone. We saw last weekend uh, the team in tenth beat the team in second. Uh, and then the team in ninth were leading at half time and just about knocked off the team in first a day, a day later. Uh, so anyone's going to be anyone on any given day. Uh, and that's what we're staring down the barrel of. The Giants, yep, they've been the most consistent. They haven't lost away from home. So the final series being in Auckland uh, certainly won't worry them, um, you know, having not lost away from Nelson. Um, but I tell you the team to look out for, Smitty, and that's Taranaki. The Taranaki Airs are just cooking right now. They've won five in a row. Um, they are playing some great basketball. They've got two of the most, um, two of the most just outrageously good players in the competition in Javante Douglas and Anthony Hilliard. Uh, no one is going to want to play Taranaki come finals week. And also, let's not forget the Wellington Saints who are just lurking uh, after a rough start to the season, one of their worst in their history, are just lurking outside the top six. They pretty much need to win through uh, to make it to the top six. But if they do and they sneak into, uh, you know, sixth place, you do not want to come up against that team on a run of form uh, and, and a team that knows how to win and a club that knows how to win on a run of form on finals week. So it's tough to put, a, tough to put your money on anyone right now. I guess when you come to clutch situations and you're looking to um, perhaps nail any particular game or whatever, you need to look to inspiration. Uh, the Taranaki has uh, found that, of course, uh, Trent Adams put together a really good uh, combination. His roster is very good. But then you've got Piero Cameron lurking as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it just seems a nice balance for the Taranaki side. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, I, I laugh and joke and call them brains and brawn. Um, but they're both incredible um, basketball minds, really likeable people and, and great man managers. And, and like you say, there's no one in New Zealand basketball with more mana than Pero. Uh, no one in the history of the game. So for those Taranaki players to look to the sideline uh, and see him there wearing, wearing their, their jersey and, and in their corner and helping them out, he does a lot of individual work with them um, as well as you know helping Trent with, with the team stuff. So uh, a great addition to, to the Taranaki ears. And um, you know I, I'm sure Trent Adams loving having a guy like Perro as his right-hand man as well. So, uh, Hugh, we're, we were looking at the start of the season and we thought, man, what an impressive start. Have they hit the ground running? And we're talking about, of course, the Auckland Tuatara uh, and their new, first season were under the new franchise name, etc. cetera. Um, but it's just come to a, a little bit of a stuttering halt of late. What's happened there? Well, Chris Johnson's not here at the moment, of course. He's over in America. You know, there's rumours that if they make the finals that he'll be back for finals week, which would be a, a huge addition for the Tuatara, having the, the big rangy American back. Uh, remember, they're a really young roster. You know, Dante Russo-Nance, who's one of their key players, he's still at school. <laughs> That's how good he is. He's still at St. Kent. So um, it's a grind of a season. You know, when you're young and inexperienced, that, that can catch up on you. And I just think it's been a case of um, some of the teams working them out, some, some slightly off nights here and there, but they're still capable of beating anyone on the day. And Rob Lowe, of course, is second, I think, currently in MVP um, votes at the moment. So... They're good enough to go the whole way, and having the final six in their home gym will help as well. Unfortunate, of course, that, um, and it's unavoidable that, uh, of course, um, the Tall Blacks are away on international duty, so some of these franchises are impacted a wee bit, and that uh, goes a wee, a wee bit too for Otago Nuggets, who are without Sam Timmons, who haven't quite delivered to the extent that perhaps their sponsors might have. <laughs> 
Yeah, they started so well, didn't they? And it's been tough. And, you know, normally we, we break for Tall Blacks activity, um, but this Tall Blacks activity snuck up on us because of the pandemic and no one's fault, really. But FIBA's schedule, you know, was, was uh, all over the shop as, as impossible as it would have been put together. So going forward, we won't have this issue. We will break for Tall Blacks activity going forward, and uh, as we always have done. Uh, this one just COVID-inspired. But that Nuggets team can still beat anyone. You know, I feel like I say that about every team, and I do, because they can. Um, and they got a big one this weekend. They had a big win uh, on the road last weekend as well, at home last weekend, I should say. So they're, they're still there. They're still hanging around, eight and seven, sitting in fourth position. Uh, Hawks are on eight wins as well. What a huge game that is. Game of the round tomorrow night between them and the Wellington Saints. Uh, after they got a bloody nose uh, the other week against uh, last week against the Saints, so uh, and then you got the Corey Webster inspired Bulls sitting there on seven on seven wins as well as well as the Rams. So it's the closest the league has been in decades. Um, it's yeah, an it absolute is. nightmare if you're trying to work out who's going to make the playoffs. It is. It is. It's quite difficult having a punt on it as well. I can promise you that. Um, <laughs> Hugh, let's uh, look. Also, let's also have a look at uh, the Tall Blacks, uh, who, who we just mentioned are in action at the moment, going well in the uh, uh, Asia Cup uh, as well. Overnight, they defeated Syria 97-58. So they're winning these games, by uh, a lot of them, by comfortable margins. Uh, I'll face South Korea. How do you rate their chances against uh, South Korea? Yeah, I mean, the way they're going, I rate their chances against anyone right now. You know, this is a really um, young Tall Blacks team. Um, you know, Tohi Smith-Milner is really the veteran of the bunch, and, and he's still mid-20s. So um, it's great to see guys like Flynn Cameron. We talk about Perro. Well, his son, Flynn Cameron, is, is playing really well out there uh, in his first real go-around with the Tall Blacks. So it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see a bit of a depth-building exercise. Again, I mentioned COVID. This, this Asia Cup has been postponed by a year, so it doesn't have the same meaning that it would normally have in its uh, international window. It doesn't account for qualification to anything like it would normally. Um, so a great chance to blood these youngsters. Some of the other teams are doing that as well. Um, Korea is one of them, so we're not going up against the, the best Korean team, but then again, we're not throwing up the best Tall Blacks team as well. So it's going to be really interesting. I think they can beat them. They absolutely can beat them. Uh, it's going to be probably the toughest game as it should be in the quarterfinal that they've had so far in this competition. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, it's just so much everywhere you look to me. There's basketball happening left, right and centre. Yep, great for a general manager that, I'm sure. Hugh Bainham, <laughs> thank you very much, my friend, uh, for your ra- wrap-up on uh, those respective leagues and uh, on the Tall Blacks as well. Uh, long may it continue, and those numbers keep increasing at games and on television. Well done. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Uh, Hugh Bainham there, general manager of both the Souths NBL, of course, and the GJ Gardner, uh, Tau'i Aotearoa League, and it's inaugural season. It is going gangbusters, apparently, which is uh, terrific news. And, of course, uh, that's the league uh, where the women are getting paid equal to the men, and ain't the women happy about that. It is 10.16. We'll have a panel very shortly. Opinions, the panel. Sam Ackerman with us this morning and uh, Brad Lewis as well. And Brad, uh, if I can start with you this morning, please. Uh, Joe Malcolm, of course, media manager now for the All Blacks, taking the hit for what happened uh, over the weekend, which has turned out to be pretty ugly from uh, the outsiders looking in. What about uh, from uh, a person who goes to press conferences and uh, would feel, I would imagine, quite let down by this whole thing? Yeah, and um, look, Smithy, uh, we we all understand that you know the All Blacks media manager is probably the second hardest comms position in the country, um, 
And I know that there's currently a transition period where they're bringing in someone new and Joe's sort of overseeing it um, towards, towards the end of the series. But, you know, um, Sam Hewitt from ECNZ put it beautifully in a, in a tweet this morning when he said that, you know, like it wasn't that long ago that they presented to the media how open they were going to be and become more accessible because the media has complained, has complained for a long time now that the All Blacks were very distant from the media and um like yeah and a couple of weeks ago Stuart Barnes wrote a story in um in his press in the UK and uh I know a lot of New Zealand media uh jumped on that story around Sam Kane and an email was sent out to all of those media outlets um basically questioning why we were criticizing the all black captain and running a story from an overseas uh basically, you know, an overseas source, which happens every day in the media, Smithy. I mean, you guys pick up stories every day from overseas. It happens. Uh, and to, to cancel that press conference was, was, um, was naive from Joe, you know, like so naive because what, what, what did she think the media was going to spin anyway? It looks like Foster's running scared, right? And as Sam said in his tweet this morning, this is no longer an Ian Foster issue. It's an NZR issue. And, uh, I, I kind of feel like um, New Zealand rugby are so insular, they're so disconnected from not just the media smithy, but the country that they don't understand. Like, they don't understand that a lot of people in the media believe that they are North Korea. That That is how they handle themselves. Uh, and, you know, like, look at, look at a, a superstar in sport called LeBron James. He does a pre- and post-match press conference for every single game. That's 82 games a year. That's 164 press conferences. That's just in the regular season. And in the postseason, he does the same thing. Do you think that LeBron James wants to front up after getting eliminated from the NBA Finals? No, but he does. Steph Curry does the same thing. Kevin Durant does the same thing. Derek Jeter from the New York Yankees used to do the same thing. You know, sports, you know, the media and, and sport works together to make, to bridge that gap between the fans and the sport, to, to inform. And the fact that um, New Zealand politicians are more accessible than the All Blacks and also don't throw their, their, their pants out when, when they get criticised, it's, it's ridiculous. I know the company that I work for, Smithy, has been blacklisted by NZR for a comment that Tova O'Brien made on her breakfast show about Ian Foster when, he, when they had an interview with him. I've put in three requests the last three weeks for an All Black, and guess what? Haven't heard anything from them. Radio silence. It's ridiculous. It's unprofessional. And it's coming back to roost now because, uh, you know, like it's every now I think the rest of the, I think the New Zealand public is understanding what, what NZR is as a company. And there are serious issues there and it's been happening for the last 15 years and uh, it needs to change. I, I just wonder, uh, I know Joe Mack, I'm uh, Sam O'Donnell for a long, long time. And uh, I just wonder if she's the messenger here. You know the old saying, "Don't shoot the messenger." I, I cannot believe that uh, she took this upon herself. I'm, I'm, st I'm saying that, that there was guidance or directive from above on this particular one, even though she said, "It's me, it's me, it's me." I, I, I don't see it that way. I've known uh, Joe Malcolm for um, a decade or two as well now. Um, not we're not close. I just I've, I've known her from working with her and um, you know cordial conversations. Uh, and I, I also know what the all black media manager role is. 
and the All Black media manager does not have the, that type of power. That's not that never has been uh, the case, unless that's changed in the last few years. The media manager wasn't wasn't someone in a position to say I'm cancelling the media opportunity. Uh, they answered to the coach and they answered to uh, the team manager and, and and the like. So this is not a, a solo mission, and I feel that um, Joe might be getting. You know, well, she's put a name for it here, so that's you know, whether she's throwing herself um, forward or being you know, chastised or otherwise. Now, I, I don't disagree with a lot of what Brad's saying. And I, I, I was at, on the uh, the World Cup tour in 2003 where uh, John Mitchell held the media to ransom, essentially. Uh, we were there you know, trying to cover him, and it was a nightmare. He gets knocked out of the World Cup. The next day, he comes around and shakes our hands. G'day, Sam. G'day, John. G'day, Jim. How's, how, how's your trip been? Not one word prior to it, but the charm offences started afterwards. But by then, the the writer was on the wall because the media had you know the media said sorry mate you've made your bed now you got to lie in it and that's we saw John Mitchell get you know marched out pretty quickly as all coaches did at that stage after losing the World Cup well you know, this this current regime is in the same situation where you know when the All Blacks are the top dog in town they get that. You know, people kind of almost need to fold in uh, to be able to get coverage. You heard what Brad said about um, the situation with uh, with his employers. It's now that there's an opportunity um, that uh, you know, all bets are off, then they're finding what the problem is. The biggest issue that's come from this is that New Zealand rugby has created a vacuum, a vacuum of silence. And it's the biggest topic in sport and arguably one of the biggest topics in the country. If they aren't going to be filling it, if they aren't going to be speaking, then that vacuum will be filled by others. And this is when the call for the heads to roll will come. This is when the criticising of chiefs, criticising of boards happen because they have gone from an event on Saturday to a board meeting today, an awful long period of time to have nothing being said besides a release statement. Because we know that that Mark Robinson could have thrown it up as well and spoken, but he chose to um, go through a release. So... This is, this is the bed they've made. They chose not to speak, and that is what comes with it. We should acknowledge that if there is any, uh, we, we aren't on the inside, and perhaps there were some tell signs from experienced people that suggested, you know, they've, they've made the Naomi Osaka comparison, that maybe Sam Kane and, uh, and Ian Foster weren't in the headspace to be able to turn up. I don't know that for a fact. I don't know that at all, but they've made mention uh, to protecting individuals. Sometimes we have to take a little bit of a, a bind to that as well. We can't have gone through what we have gone through uh, the past few years with uh, understanding the, the, the pressures and the, you know, the, the Olivia Podmore tragedy without taking a little bit of consideration. I'm not suggesting it's at that level, but we need to evolve a bit with that too. But look, they have created this vacuum. It is a rod for their own back. They've uh, they've made, and um, it is time for this to be reviewed in a wider context. Great views, great views from both Brad Lewis and Sam Ackerman, and uh, you can tell from uh, both of their opinions there that uh, they've been affected by this over the years and um, pretty much had a guts full of it. So uh, we'll take a short break here, have some news with Araha, and when we come back, we'll try and fill uh, the vacuum that Sam's talking about and try and crystal ball gaze a wee bit as to what's going to happen in the next two days. News now. Yeah, Sam Ackerman and Brad Lewis with us this morning and very forthright opinions too on um, what's coming out of the All Blacks or not coming out of the All Black uh, camp and New Zealand rugby at this point. So, uh, Brad, let's try and fill uh, that vacuum that Sam was uh, talking about there with uh, our own theories about what is going to happen now to uh, to Ian Foster uh, and this group going to South Africa. What is, what's it even going to look like? Are we looking at changes? 
my gut says no uh, because it's only a three-week turnaround and I just don't think whoever comes in will be handed a hospital pass. Potentially maybe Joe Schmidt gets elevated to an assistant coach role. Um, but like uh, Ian Foster ain't resigning because he won't get paid. He won't get his payout. So it'll come down to NZR to, to, to make that decision if they do want a, a new coach. And I think, you know, I think the smart move would be to elevate Joe Schmidt to a head coach role if that's what he wants to do. And then, um, and then make him director of rugby in a year and a half's time and make Scott Robertson the head coach. That, that seems to me to be the smartest move to have the least amount of turmoil within the squad. Um, Joe Schmidt looked after the team for the first week, and, and look what happened. <laughs> they won by 30 points. Now, uh, even in that game, I think Ireland were the better side. It was 10 minutes of all-black brilliance that, that won in that game. But um, it doesn't reflect well on Foster that the team went down the toilet after that first game. Um, so, yeah, I, I would if, – if I was Mark Robinson and the board, that's the decision I would make. Joe Schmidt to head coach, I would – I would um, part ways with Ian Foster. Yeah, you have to pay him out, but that's tough cookies. You're the idiots who signed him to a two-year extension in the first place. Um, and, and then and slowly phase in Scott Robertson, um, and he's the head coach at the end of the World Cup. Sam Ackerman, uh, what would you do? Well, what would I do, or do I think they'll do? They're very different things. Um, I, I um, understand... I personally think that um, Ian Foster will stay uh, in a role that um, that's, is very unchanged, but I think that perhaps um, rather than make Joe Schmidt the uh, the coach or the assistant coach, I think he comes in with a, a role not... Dif- I don't think he's a director of rugby personally. I think it'll be like a coaching uh, coordinator or supervisor or, um, or advisor, whatever it is, uh, something that brings him in um, not dissimilar to the role that uh, John Hart had with Ivan Cleary uh, at the Warriors, uh, where he is the guy who... Gives someone a, a gives them something to bounce off. If Joe Schmidt wants to be head coach of the All Blacks in some shape or form, then he'll be you know be very careful about the role he chooses because it'll be a hard transition. And certainly, I, I, if Scott Robertson is going to be the coach post the World Cup, then I think that Joe Schmidt and diff- I don't know if he would want or need to have a director of coaching coming in sitting over the top when you're trying to bring in that that level of fresh ideas. And if you want Razor, you want Razor for Razor. You don't want him coming in to assimilate to somebody else's ideas. So uh, it's, a, it's a messy situation. Um, I, I said on the show with you last week, Cindy, that Scott Robertson would be uh, would be foolhardy to want to take over the All Blacks in its current form at its at this current moment. He's got a uh, if he was to pick up the ball and yep, he could for the World Cup, but just as easily, it's we can see it's a difficult scenario to bring forward, and that would be a, a blight on his coaching record as an all-back coach going forward. If they fail at the World Cup, things can still go pear-shaped for him, and the level of understanding isn't always uh, there, despite the intention ahead of time. So I definitely think that Ian Foster is part of the all-backs uh, in, a, in a very similar role to what he is going forward, um, and I just I actually don't know what the better option is. I think Joe Schmidt's involvement is a good one, um, and I, I hear a lot about Sam Kane being um, thrown to the wolves, uh, and, I, and while I can appreciate those calls, to me, for Ian Foster to stay in the role and uh, Sam Kane to be bumped is purely a financial decision. It's a, look, look, we've made changes, but we're not going to pay out this option, and I feel Sam Kane is about to be hard done by in the context of everybody else who should be putting their hand up. Okay, uh, we shall wait and see. In fact, in 24 hours' time, we might know uh, the answer to all this uh, speculation, fellas. Uh, uh, but they've got other issues as well to deal with here uh, as well, Brad, by the look of it, because uh, Andrew Forrest, who is uh, an absolute billionaire in Australia, has thrown his 
uh, total support behind Rugby Australia, uh, and uh, stand sport for a split from New Zealand. Now, it's something else on the agenda to uh, to get through. I mean, good luck to them. Uh, I I don't know how many Australians will be interested in an Australian Australian competition. Uh, Having spent some time recently in Australia and Brisbane talking to a couple of rugby journalists, uh, they think it's a ludicrous idea from Rugby Australia because some of the most highly watched games in Australia are the New Zealand New Zealand derby. So, uh, and the Super Rugby final, by all accounts, rated really, really well on a, on on on, on Stan Sport, uh, which is an interesting. Uh, interesting note. Uh, so, look, if they want to run their own competition, that's fine. I think we'll be fine by ourselves. They'll miss out on that that um, you know potential NZR money, which would certainly help, and a New Zealand broadcast element. I can't imagine Spark or Sky being interested in an Australian rugby competition. Certainly, they're not going to pay overs for it. Uh, so, if if they feel that they can they can run a competition by themselves, then then go for it. I think. What's happening here is Australia, Australia, Rugby Australia is just looking for a little bit more of the cake, especially with NZR in the position it's in now. Why not, man? And they should take a, take, take a run at this and, and get a bit more money because, you know, NZR has been quite selfish when it's come to the broadcasting table. Uh, so good on Rugby Australia for at least making a play. I just don't think in the long term for them it's the right move. Uh, Sam Ackerman, let's uh, get away from uh, rugby uh, and let's look at uh, the Warriors uh, this weekend. Uh, they visit the Raiders, and they visit them with Reese Walsh on the bench for Chanel Harris-Tavita. What have you made of that uh, particular call by Stacey Jones? Love it because uh, an interim coach um, could quite easily just go through the motions and kind of pick the teams and not look to upset the apple cart. Uh, but I listen, I, I don't think Reese Walsh, I know he got picked in the uh, the wider origin squads again, but I don't think Reese Walsh has been um, setting the, 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 the footy field on fire this year. Um, I would also um, state that he hasn't quite suffered second year syndrome, where he, you know, he's, he's failed, but he's certainly not um, as explosive and uh, he's not... He's running on a little bit of instinct still, but those uh, I feel like there's a different, uh, certainly an eff, uh, a difference between effort and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm takes you, um, gets you really involved in the play when you're in it. Effort is when you're putting in that same um, kind of commitment when you're not involved in the play. And a really great example of that is uh, when there was a bus made in uh, the para game. We saw uh, Chanel. Harris to be making uh, a real effort to run back and make a, a huge difference where there's a jog on from uh, the fullback to uh, to catch him up. I remember a little while ago, well, a long while ago now, when Andrew McFadden was the coach and uh, Conrad uh, Hurrell scored two or three tries in the game uh, and then he got dropped. And everyone's like, why? Why have you dropped the guy that's scoring tries? He goes, well, he he's not putting in the way that he should. And you went back and watched the game and you see the same things. Conrad Harrell's not putting in, wasn't chasing uh, breaks. He wasn't putting in the, the same effort as those around him. And those are areas that matter. So I don't think he's uh, lazy by any stretch, but I certainly think that this is the type of situation uh, that could be a good wake-up call for him. And I don't think that it's going to hurt the Warriors to have him come on and make an impact, choose the moment for Reese Walsh to be involved in. I feel like Harris DeVito in his, his last year before he takes a, a self-imposed exile from the game has found a bit of a new lease on life. He's giving it at all, knowing that he's going to get a break after this, so he's leaving nothing in the tech. I, I'm, I'm okay with this. Same thing with Arcee getting a, a run at, um, in six, and he's off contract. Why not take a look at him and see how he goes? He played well by all, uh, all accounts 
in the uh, the lower grades uh, in the weekend. So I'm I'm comfortable. It's good to see Stacey Jones making calls and backing himself, even though it's just uh, his team on a on a temporary basis. He is still Stacey Jones. This is still the Warriors, and he gets to say the tempo and the style and the uh, the attitude you need to play with to be a Warrior. That's a key word uh, for me there, that you've just added in there, Sam. Attitude and Brad, uh, I I fear I, I'm from the outside looking at I fear a wee bit for this Reese Walsh uh, because uh, attitudes, uh, habits, and things are usually developed at an early age. And once they're set, uh, particularly when you're playing in professional sport, they're hard to get out of. Uh, if he thinks he's going to be able to take this attitude across to Kevy Walters and the Brisbane Broncos, if it is an attitude, uh, he might have uh, a short, sharp message dealt to him pretty early. Yeah, especially with the way Kev, Kev Walters has turned around that Broncos team in the last two years. Um, I wonder if Reese Walsh is a little bit scarred from what happened at the back end of last season with the whole, uh, you know, with the issue where he got in trouble with the police and then had to front the media and he looked glum that day with his manager and, and um, Cam George. And he just hasn't been the same player, right? And I think Sam hit the nail on the head as he does with, with most matters when he says, you know, the effort's there, but he's lacking that enthusiasm. The enthusiasm that he showed last year where... He set, he set the Warriors on, on fire at points throughout the season last year in a tough, tough season where he was a standout player in every single game. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe he's signed out already. He, he doesn't want to ruin his body with a, um, with a big contract uh, for, for the, with the Broncos. And his, his, his future and career well, is in Brisbane. It's not here. And I wonder if that's just in the back of his mind. Um, I think Reese Walsh will be, will, be, will be fine moving forward. He's a quality player. Um, and, and I just think he may have signed out already, and I also wonder if he's still holding a few demons from what happened to him at the end of last year. Mm, interesting. Okay, fellas, thanks very much for that. It's been fantastic talking to you uh, this morning to uh, uh, very, very good um, uh, opinions to, uh, about New Zealand rugby and uh, how they're treating the media and this latest saga is probably... Uh, it won't be the straw that breaks the camel back, uh, back I think, guys, but I, I think a lot of pressure will go on as a result, and uh, your opinion uh, is shared amongst a lot of people in the media, I am sure. It is 10.42. Uh, we'll have some texts when we come back, and we'll catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt and uh, I think Pip Morris from the TAB. It's Greyhound Day in Palmerston North. Love to hear from Pip along those lines. Right, uh, Andrew has come in this morning, said, uh, makes no sense for Razor not coming in early. One year is plenty of time. Half the team play under him for the Crusaders. True. This argument that a coach needs a four-year cycle is complete BS. Uh, Andrew, you make a good point there, and uh, Russia Rasmus proved that you don't need four years uh, to turn a side around and win a World Cup. Uh, and I totally agree. Um, there's a lot in that, and I'm sure that uh, that's been considered uh, as well. Um, Miles has come in and said, uh, how does that uh, Irish prop porter get no ban and uh, Gussie, being uh, Angus Ta'aval, gets three weeks. No consistency at all. Um, you've answered your own question there, Miles, to be fair. No consistency at all. What they're saying is uh, it was not a red card offence, uh, which is exactly what Wayne Barnes said. Uh, it was an absorbing tackle, whatever that is. In other words, I guess it, uh, it means that the player making the tackle was actually absorbing some of the pressure. But as I said yesterday, uh, talk to Brody Retallick about that or his cheekbone. I'm not quite sure he can talk too well at the moment, Brody, but uh, it looked like he absorbed most of it, uh, if that was the evidence that they were looking at. So, man, uh, it is hard. And it's hard for for all of us, whether we work in the media, whether we're close to the replay side of things, or whether we're sitting at home like you, or sitting in the crowd. It is hard to get your head around the consistency side of things 
right or wrong, right or wrong, and you're absolutely right, Miles. Uh, Smithy, I believe women's I believe uh, women's rugby quarterfinals could still be scheduled for Dunedin, Wellington, Christchurch, and Hamilton. Auckland women's rugby fans will be broke by then. Just a thought, and give Dunedin Black Ferns, uh, give Dunedin the Black Ferns. We have the best stadium in the country. A World Cup event should utilise that. Totally, absolutely, totally uh, agree that that stadium should be utilised for that, and it should be um, when uh, if we ever comes back here, uh, Christchurch. I mean, they're the guarantees that should be made to people like the Christchurch City Council. You build it, and we will come. I'm not talking about the fans here. Uh, it's the event organisers should be saying, if you build it, we will come with our events. Uh, you know, it's it, that's to me. It's, it's just, it's just so has to happen. Um, so hey, Smithy, this is the most separated, disconnected the NZRU have been for from the public in your memory. He's asking me, is it okay? So it's got to be right up there. Has to be right up there. There's been turmoil with coaches in the past, TJ, of course. Uh, hasn't yeah, um, and you know uh, I go back to the Wayne Smith scenario, John Smith, Robbie Deans, that, that kind of era. Uh, the it wasn't that smooth between John Hart and Alex Wiley. So there's always been uh, coaching issues, um, and uh, you know because it's such a high-profile position. But there is a disconnect now from the public. The decision to cancel the press conference because we had lost, and it would be hard to front is an amazing tone deafness to me. Um, the press conference isn't supposed to be exclusively a celebration of wins, but a review of the game. We win a lot, but we uh, think of the blokes uh, like Checker fronting them after losses for years. They're asking the public to not be invested in the team, I guess, with the Silver Lake investment. They don't need the public's investment anymore. A uh, very, very poignant point there, uh, TJ, and uh, that's uh, one thing they do, want, do not want to do is disconnect. The game will uh, look after it for a long time, uh, but you don't want to guarantee it uh, forever. So uh, Brennan has come in and said, I agree with Dino yet again. If they were playing close to where I'd live, I'd go watch the Black Ferns play, but no way I'm going to pay to fly up to Auckland to watch. Took my kids to watch uh, Southern Huihu uh, versus uh, Fai a couple of weeks ago since it was in town, and absolutely awesome to watch. Couldn't believe the physicality. Would thoroughly recommend them watching the games on TV now too. Bargain, $35 for a family pass. Thanks, Brendan. We'll be back very shortly uh, with the Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris. The Love Racing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And Louis Herman, what joins us on a day where Avondale are racing today? Eight races uh, star first at 5 to 12, Louis. Yes, Smithy, it's, uh, look, it's pissing down. Um, to be honest, up here in Auckland, I can hear it outside of my house here and it's going to be wet at Avondale it's a good winter track I've got it rated as a heavy 10 but um, I dare say it will be a proper heavy so you want rock hard fit horses that are bred to get through the mud and can do so and have proven that they have done so before you don't really want to be taking a risk I don't think in any horses they haven't proven to be able to get through heavy tracks today so the, um, and at this time of year obviously you don't see that many um I'd also I'd also watch out for the claimers. Um, there's a number of three, four kg claimers riding today, and and just that weight relief um, is going to be massive for them if they're getting down at those bottom weights. And I pointed out to you, uh, or earlier on in the day, that in, in the last on the card, there's um, one that I don't mind, Balladora, and I see a little bit of money's come for Balladora, five dollars into four twenty, still getting a dollar eighty a place, and. With Joe Camarudin 
um, down to 53.5 kilograms, uh, decent enough barrier, good heavy track form, um, racing in pretty decent races of late and putting in good consistent efforts. I think Balladour is a, a really nice chance on a day where, yeah, there'll be plenty of them across the card, Smithy, and then tomorrow we'll be back with odds for the Opanaki Cup uh, racing down there in the Naki where we're going to be on Saturday. So looking forward to it. Good. Okay, Louis, uh, we'll let you get back to uh, resting and stay out of that uh, horrible uh, rain up there in Auckland. Uh, Pip uh, Morris joins us uh, from the TAB, being Wednesday, of course, and being Wednesday, 12 races out of Palmerston North, Pip, uh, just after midday, the first one. Good morning to you, Smithy. Yes, certainly is. And Karen Walsh got a small team in coming um, down from Cambridge, really like her dog in race two, thrilling Reggie. But in the next best of the day, gets a bonus run in Maiden Companies. That's 210. It's a nice deal, but I certainly think he should be winning that, Smithy. And just speaking of racing, there's been a nice bet at Avondale for the Gallops or other domestic meetings today. 1.1 thousand put on Magic Ace to win in race three at Avondale at 250, and someone's looking for a play there. And on the sports side of things, the biggest head-to-head market for the NRL, there's been a thousand dollars on the Brisbane Broncos at 235, 300 dollars on Manly at 157 to beat the Dragons, and 84 percent as far as the cricket goes, Smithy. All head-to-head market bets are all on New Zealand black cats at a dollar 27. So the Kiwis willing to take that dollar twenty-seven around the black cap, and just quickly, Joe Cullen most bets to reach the final at eight fifty as well. Another nice play. Okay, uh, well, Joe Cullen, I think just got beat by Michael Van Guren, so that might help us, uh, might not help us uh, cause uh, Pip Morris. But thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the greyhounds today, uh, and uh, we'll have uh, another visit tomorrow. And after the break, uh, of course, Vossi not in his normal slot, but we can't do a week. On radio at SENZ. Without him, Vossi soon. Uh, 11.03 here on SENZ, and as promised, we will bring you uh, Andrew Voss very shortly, uh, just uh, finishing up his show on the other side of the Tasman and uh, getting an opportunity to uh, get a nice quiet space so he can have a, uh, a bit of a chin wag with us over anything that's happening uh, around league circles at the moment. But um, we thought we might uh, just uh, replay a couple of uh, quotes from uh, a bloke who's making. Uh, his foray into international cricket, actually, uh, on our behalf. And that, of course, is Dane Cleaver out of the Manawatu, out of the Central Stags. Uh, last night, uh, he was on the show uh, with Ricardo Ball um, and just asking him about his, his debut and uh, his experiences uh, in Ireland. It was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the cricket side of it is pretty familiar. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, a bowler and a batter and, and you know, the, the, the gloves and, and I suppose the um, everything that comes with the wicket-keeping job around around leadership and, and, and energy and, and, and the glove work side of it, that's all pretty familiar um, as it is in domestic cricket. But I suppose it's just the, all the extra little things, the pressure, playing for your country and I suppose just getting used to um, used to that, that step up um, from, from the outside sort of external factors. Yeah, and I guess something that you know maybe people don't think about a lot when it comes to uh, the job that you have to do is that you know you've got you've almost got to learn a a, a whole whole set of different um, tells and things as well, don't you? I mean, like, you know, if you haven't kept a lot to Lockie before, or I mean, who knows what Ish does with a ball? It sort of comes out of some sort of <laughs> uh, you know some sort of vortex, and it's anybody's guess where it's going to go. I mean, uh, <laughs> how how much work have you got to do on that front, preparing yourself to keep to those guys? Yeah, well, there's a little bit of work involved, but um, also I'm 
thankful enough to have played against these guys for for you know almost a decade now. So um, I suppose playing against them, you uh, you know, if you want to be successful batting wise, you know, against Lockie and Ash and Sandy, you've you got to have a pretty good idea of what they do because um, they're you know pretty special players. So. Um, I suppose from that point of view, I uh, felt relatively prepared having having watched them sort of their careers progress. Um, and so, yeah, it was just about going out there and, um, you know, doing the basics well. Yeah, and, and I mean, you talk about too the leadership sort of uh, part of the job. I mean, you're geeing up the bowler, right? You're talking to the field. You might have a word to the batsman. Uh, did you have to tune that up at all? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't, probably that's not so much my role. Uh, I'm, I struggle. I struggle to be uh, mean enough to do that. I'm a bit too nice sometimes. Um, but definitely from the bowler's point of view, I mean, I see it. You know, my role. You know, getting to know the guys and their games is just making sure that they know that I'm supporting them and that if I'm offering anything tactically and and from field positioning, making sure that you know the guys are in the right spots for for the stuff they're trying to bowl. Um, so I. I, I, I Take that a pretty serious part of my job as well. Yeah, I mean, do you know uh, if you got have you got the gloves for the rest of the series? Well, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure, but um, you know, obviously hoping so. I mean, we find out game by game, um, and you know, obviously selections out of my hand, but I'll be um, putting my hand up, and uh, if I get the opportunity, that'd be fantastic. Dan Cleaver, uh, Dan Cleaver there with uh, with Ricardo Ball, of course, uh, and interview that they played uh, last night. Um, and uh, of course, um, there was an interesting topic flying around now. If you're a New Zealander in uh, Ireland, and Ricardo asked him about that. Now, I know that you you've probably got a fair idea of what's been making headlines over in this part of the world for the last few days. Um, how is it being being a Kiwi in Ireland uh, in the last few days? <laughs> it's been yeah, it's been interesting. I think um, obviously the you know. As New Zealanders, rugby is a huge part of our culture and, and a huge part of, um, you know, um, us as New Zealanders. So we've definitely been, uh, you know, copping a bit of flack and, uh, you know, a few Irish punters getting around us in that respect. But, I mean, I suppose it's a part of the territory and it's the same with, I suppose, any professional sport. Um, you sort of, at the end of the day, you judge on your results and you got to cop that on the chin a bit. Yeah, the Irish do like a bit of, well, they call it crack over there, don't they? I mean, uh, what, what, what's the best line yeah. you've heard so far that that, that, that you, can, you can say on the radio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the thing. I, I think um, I think their, their main comeback is just um, if we have a win in the cricket, they just say, what about the rugby? Which, I mean, it's pretty fair. It's pretty straight to the point. But, um, <laughs> but no, all credit to them. They obviously, um, you know, they're playing some good rugby. And, and, and it means... You know, that's part of professional sport. You can't win them all, right? Yeah, Dane Cleaver there with uh, Ricardo Ball. And I tell you what, if it wasn't for Michael Bracewell, if it was not for Michael Bracewell on a couple of occasions in the one-day internationals, uh, they'd be saying about, the same about the cricket as they would about the rugby. The Irish would be totally dominating us in every sense of the word. Right, we'll take uh, a quick break, I think, yeah, and then we come back, uh, Vossi will be available to us. <laughs> 11.13 here uh, on this side of the Tasman. Uh, it's uh, 9.13 uh, where Vossi is at the moment, I'm led to believe, and uh, we couldn't talk to Vossi on Monday, and the reason why, it's such a big furor and a bust-up or a breakdown after the All Blacks uh, 
another loss to uh, Ireland. Um, we just um, it just absolutely had to take precedence because it was history making, and I'm sure even Vossi understood the significance of uh, when your sports, your national sports, and turmoil, and uh, you have to talk about it. So Vossi, uh, here we are a couple of days later, but still plenty to talk about in terms of the NRL. Uh, but before we do, I, I just I thought of you actually after uh, the State of Origin three. I've, I have seldom seen reactions from grown men at rugby league games like that after that comeback. Some of those scenes with Billy Slater, uh, quite calm about the whole thing, but Jonathan Thurston and others, absolutely uh, euphoric about the whole deal. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning, everyone, and uh, commiserations on the uh, All Blacks result. Uh, but you're right to, to hear the words of um, people like Cameron Smith. You know now. You know, relatively freshly retired, been done a couple of seasons now, but he sort of wondered how he would fit into the, you know, uh, into a coaching role or part of the squad, and would it give him the same buzz? He said, absolutely, it did. You know, like it, it moved him, and it seems like that's a pretty healthy brain trust. We always thought that on paper it was fantastic. Billy Slater, Jonathan Thurston, Cameron Smith, but could they uh, convey whatever messages they want to get across? Well, I suppose the answer was an emphatic yes. Um, all the rest of it, the pride in the jersey debate we've had um, since that. But um, Queensland found a way to win and New South Wales. Look, I, I know I know everyone went like, you know, the world ended from for the Blues and the sky was falling. But with 20 minutes to go, they were still leading the decider. I mean, that's how close it was. And I know Ben Hunt got that runaway try at the finish, but it was... It was close. New South Wales barely got out of their own half in the, you know, in the second half of that, that decider and, and started making errors under fatigue uh, late, so that didn't make it easy. But it was a terrific series, and the last game was about as good a sporting theatre as you could get, Smithy. Mm. I, I agree. I totally agree. I, I mean, I was just uh, I couldn't sleep for an hour afterwards. I was just so um, so caught up in the whole deal. It was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Vossi, um, we'll, we'll move forward to uh, our beloved uh, Warriors, of course, Stacey Jones has um, raised a few eyebrows with a selection for the team to play Canberra Raiders this Saturday. It's 5pm New Zealand time. Uh, it will not include Reese Walsh in the starting lineup coming off the bench. Some have said over here on my breakfast program this morning that they've questioned, well, you know, no Reese Walsh, but Chanel Harris, the feeder, I mean, he's leaving as well at the end of the year. I mean, it's different. Uh, Reese Walsh is going to another club, but the fact of the matter, neither will be there should you be at this point of the season investing in players that will be there if you're going to make changes. So that, that, that's a fair argument. There's also been here, and this is only rumour, and, and will it become self-fulfilling prophecy, but Melbourne are desperate. Um, would Reese Walsh, if he was suddenly on the outer with the Warriors, would there be that short-term deal like Tafita Bengai Jr. got last year with Penrith? Could Reese Walsh be part of the mm. Melbourne Storm campaign? Now, as I say, that's only a rumour, but Melbourne obviously are looking around, are shopping around. They were hoping to pick up Tariq Sims, who plays different position, of course, but the fact that they were looking around to add to personnel for the back end of the season... Could their uh, sights now be set on uh, on the fullback position? So that's just one to consider. On the Warriors' perspective, no, I'm still about picking. You know, I, I think they owe it to the fans in New Zealand to you know pick best sides and and not sort of jump into the the 2023 planning for 2023 too soon. I'd, I'd like to think that the best possible Warriors side is picked every week between now and the end of the season. But that's just me. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. And Reese Walsh is even at uh, mediocre, a mediocre Reese Walsh for me because of his ability to turn something into or nothing into something so quickly. Uh, perhaps should still be there, but it's not the case. Uh, who will be there is uh, 
Dallin Watini Zelazny, of course, is the only Warriors player in the Kiwi squad uh, back from COVID. So um, that's an art. It's a plus. Yeah, look, I, I tell you what is happening here, and I, I guess it's the same with you guys, but um, you just mentioned COVID there. I mean, I think right at the moment, given the numbers and given the outbreaks we've got everywhere, and even at Manly, Jake Trebojevic, who was the most cautious player. I mean, we've had fun about Jake. He, he was... Yeah, he'd send Tom in to get his takeaway coffees. He'd his brother in to get the takeaway coffees. He was the, the number one mask wearer and all the rest. And he, COVID suddenly caught up with him and now Andrew Davey also from the Manly squad. And yeah, I, I think potentially between now and the finals, COVID can have a real big say on some very big matches. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if on a given weekend there was, you know, double figure numbers of players sidelined through COVID just at the moment because there is so many cases out there in, in public and yet the players aren't living in the bubble like they were at the, you know, the extreme times of the last couple of seasons. So I, I think COVID is going to have an impact. And just on that, the New South Wales state government and the grand final is played in New South Wales. The Premier here, Dominic Perrette, is talking about, well, he would like to see a change to the isolation rules uh, by the end of September. Now, that's very timely for the grand final. If there was to be that, like Cameron Munster missed Origin. He was into day six of isolation, therefore missed Origin, because at the moment it's seven-day isolation. But Perrottet's talking about, the Premier talking about it, reducing that to at least five days or, or maximum of five days. So therefore a player could test positive grand final week, early grand final week, and still be cleared to play by the weekend. So there's a little bit of information for you. Well, it's sure to be a factor. There's no doubt about it. As you say, the numbers just... Um, uh... The numbers suggest that that's going to be the case and no one, uh, it seems, can hide from it. Uh, look, the, the bye week sort of muted the Warriors' momentum, if you could call it that, after a, a homecoming victory. Uh, but one player that all eyes are uh, always on, of course, because he's the chief playmaker, is Sean Johnson. Have you seen a, have you seen a, a slight sign of improvement under Stacey? Oh, look, can I be honest? Possibly not. Yeah. Um, no, uh, but, but, but Sean was dealing with, you know, and, and let's let's keep this in mind. It's, it's fine to say they are rugby league players, it's their job, you know, they've got to perform train. You know, the, the, the strain, Sean was an example of the strain of, of being away from family and you just don't know the impact, how much that has on everything, um, you know, day by day. So I, I'm prepared to cut him a little bit of slack in that department. I would hope that he finishes the year strongly. Um, I would say, you know, and I've been, you know, one of the number one card carriers of the Sean Johnson fan club over the years. He's given me some pretty special commentary moments, I must say, Smithy. But I don't think he's played enough leadership role at the Warriors this year. And I think that's, you know, I'd find it hard for anyone to put an argument up against that. I mean, part of the signing of Sean Johnson, he was never going to be, at at the age he is now, the player he once was, the dazzling Sean Johnson. But the substitute for that, he became more appealing because of the years under the belt. Uh, you know, the experience to come back, the leadership to, the you know, the sort of role Adam Reynolds has played, you know, in a game where a chance of winning, he's got to sort of guide them home. I don't think there's been enough of that. So I want to see a lift in, in a few areas with Sean Johnson, and that's one of them. So, if the, you know, if they're in a game up to their eyeballs going into the last 10-15, Johnson has to take charge of the team. Uh, well, Ricky uh, Stewart, of course, uh, up against uh, Stacey Jones in the coaching ranks this weekend. So the Raiders are without uh, Jordan uh, Rapana, uh, of course, uh, and uh, it looks like their skipper, Elliot Whitehead, returns. So how are you looking at this matchup? Is it, are they gettable, the, the Raiders, from the Warriors' point of view? 
Well, they've probably got... Well, look, the stats don't lie. Um, if the Warriors have themselves in a position to win at half-time and you know not trailing by too many or in front, they do have to back themselves against Canberra because Canberra have this unwanted record. No team has conceded more double-digits double-digit leads than the Raiders. I mean, it happens too often, and it hasn't happened just this season. So it, it's a problem. Pardon me. It's a problem with the side. Now, to contrast that, they did get home last week, but they also, in those stats, they don't score a lot of second-half points. They came up with one absolutely, you know, scintillating try to James Schiller the other day to get home against Melbourne, but um, second-halves have been a problem. So the Warriors have to have a really good half, I think, It'd be great if they could go to half-time lead, if that was you know, part of the game plan. Let's play from in front, and that would really apply the pressure to the Raiders. But, but right at the moment, in the bigger picture, Raiders with more to play for. Um, they're in a dogfight for places in the top eight, mm-hmm. and their form um, in the first... If, we, if we, we divided the season up to now into two halves, their first half was poor. Their second half has been a lot better. Canberra rightly favourites this weekend. If we divided the Storm's first half and second half up, um, it would probably be the opposite. As you look at it now, losing to the Raiders uh, last weekend, they got the Rabbitohs this weekend, but they've had um, a pretty big loss in terms of the rest of their season. And Ryan Pappenhausen. Oh, it's enormous! It's enormous. You just can't, you know. That, that's that's you know Tom Trebovich out of Manly. That'd be Latrell Mitchell out of South Sydney. That that sort of loss. I mean, you know, he, he's a superstar. Um, Nick Meaney's a capable player, but you know can't can't possibly match uh, the skill set of um, Ryan Pappenhausen. And I've, I've, I'm still I'm gonna stop short of saying Melbourne can't win the comp, even though they're a whopping you know ten points behind Penrith now uh, in the race for the minor premiership. Well, that's over because you know they, 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 I still think they're going to be playing finals football, aren't they? And so once you make the finals, even if they are in the bottom half of the top eight, you'd only have to win three games to get to the grand final. So so could a could a Melbourne side minus two or three players make the grand final if they still have Cameron Munster, Harry Grant, Jerome Hughes, the Bromwich brothers, Justin Holland, you know, it's still a it's still a good side. So I can't completely write them off, but they're well behind in, you know, chances of winning compared to Penrith. There's no question of that. But you can make the grand final without running into Penrith. So, mm. you know, there's still time for Melbourne. They did lose five in a row in 2012, went on to win the comps meeting. So there is some, some history there where Craig Bellamy found a way to turn things around at a team. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure he's <clears throat> got the quality uh, to, to be able to do it this time around. Uh, it's, it's undoubted that Penrith have got the quality. They still uh, just got up very, very closely over West Tigers, but they rested all seven of their Origin stars. Uh, and they're back for a really good clash, an interesting clash against Cronulla this weekend, almost top of the table clash. Yeah, oh, well, look, Cronulla have been um, with with the Cowboys. You know, there's there's your two big improvers this year. Your team's not making the finals that are now right in the mix, not just bottom of the eight. They're, you know, they're talking top four contenders. Um, so no, it's a terrific game. It's a five thirty game on Saturday. Um, Panthers and Cronulla. Penrith, you know, next man up sort of mentality is is very good. Um, they have they have taken a leaf out of the Melbourne book. I've got no doubt about that. You know, pl- players like Scott Sorensen, they're they're lesser lights, and I say that with great respect. Um, Matt Eisenhuth, they, they do a job for the team when they come in, and and you know they they they, they can step up and. You know, there's pride in the jersey. There's you know we don't want to let anyone down. Not on our watch. All of those cliches ring true at Penrith. So 
I, I don't think I can tip against the Panthers in any game for the rest of the season. So I'm not tipping against them this weekend, but that's not selling the Sharks short. They're, they're, their form is real. They're not quite convinced me they are top four, but they're, they're close enough to being a top four side given their seven weeks to the finals. So, you know, if they keep improving just a little bit, just you mm. know, a little bit week by week, who's to say Cronulla can't make the grand final this year? Terrific news. I guess I'm getting away from league now, but I'm sure this has been huge in your show uh, over the last couple of days. Is Cameron Cameron Smith's amazing victory? Uh, what a hell of a last round! The last nine, what, what uh, thirty off the stick in the last nine uh, to win the Open Championship. Uh, the reaction to that unbelievable. It seems like he is just one decent, good Aussie bloke uh, who wants to celebrate with beers and his mates and loud Aussie music. Uh, absolute perfect sort of a, a, a character. And then all of a sudden, the next headline is, is he live bound? And it's Greg Norman got mm. the claws in. Uh, I, I'm sure this has been big on your side. Oh, it has. It has. First of all, on the win, fantastic. I, I mean, Australia and New Zealand uh, golf fans, you know, it's, it's few and far between the major wins. We celebrate, you know, going all the way back to Bob Charles and what Michael Campbell did. And then as far as the Open Championship is concerned, we're talking, we had a little run there with Norman and, and Baker Finch, but, you know, we are talking almost three decades since a win in the Open Championship, so you've got to celebrate it. And Cameron Smith, you know, for a player, he was in that category, um, best player not to win a major, given that he'd been knocking on the door for a number of years. Well, he just, he just ripped the door off the hinges with that final round of 64, didn't he? It was quite, quite mm-hmm. fantastic. He turned and went, you know, five birdies in a row. The par at 17 was amazing. The birdie at 18. But, yes, following all the discussion now is live. Um, with golf, I'm thinking everything that I'm and, and you know monitoring um, international news feeds and the like. I think the next live announcement is going to be as many as six players, um, so it won't be just a drip feed of you know such and such as signed. I think they will announce a whole bunch in one hit, and the speculation grows by the day that half of them will be Australians. They're talking Cameron Smith, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman. The money for Cameron Smith that has been spoken about is the equivalent of about 130, 140 million Australian dollars, Smithy. How do you knock that back? If you can still play the majors yeah. and, and yeah. the 21 tournaments of the year, you're, you're getting that to sign on. How do you knock that back? Well, for me, Vossi, if they, if they are allowed to play the majors, then the PGA and the DB uh, uh, are not going to win this. They, they simply can't because mm. outside of that, uh, you play for money and you play for the prestigious titles. When, and if you can still do all of those things and play for Greg yep. Norman, um, the answer is pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I know, and of course it's a strong argument around the Saudis and the background of where the money is coming from and what they stand for and principles and all of that. But then the golfer's argument will be back, no, but I'm just here to play golf. You know, no one's going to put me up on a pedestal, you know, selling tourism for the Saudi government. They're just there to play golf. And, and, and look, the more, the more it's come to light, Smithy, I must say, I have asked myself and the listeners, why isn't golf like tennis? Why, why does the US PGA have to control things? They do not give a damn about the Australian-New Zealand golf circuit. You know, they'll put their tournaments, they'll reschedule however they like. So... You know, why can't golf be like tennis? That's because of an all-powerful, you know, PGA. Now, they've looked after their players to a degree, but now they want to, you know, continue to rule. Well, perhaps it's time we looked at, can we do things better? And, and I'm sort of being yeah. swayed by that argument.
Yeah, me too. Um, I think it's sad, but as the, uh, and I'm a traditionalist, so I I don't want it to, yeah, to suffer. Do. But no, I, I don't like I, I four hole tournament, Smithy. I'm not a fan of that. No. I, I I think that sucks. To be honest, I think yeah. it's a terrible format. Yeah. The team format has no interest to me at all in live golf, no. and I and I don't like a fifty four hole tournament. But um, the no. principle of world tour, I get. Yeah. Well, see, as always, uh, really value your thoughts, mate, across the board. So uh, thanks for saving us till Wednesday. Uh, hopefully we'll be back with you Monday um, in about four days' time after another intriguing round of the NRL, round 19, I think. Thanks, mate. appreciate it. No problem, Smithy. Glad to hear the sun eventually came up after Saturday night. Yeah, well, it sort of has. It sort of has, mate. Anyway. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, um, now, listen, uh, we've got to go to uh, the news, but, but before that, uh, Logan, you've got to play the, the jingle, do you? We've got something coming through. Ah, breaking news. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. Breaking news, Smithy. This comes out of the Fight for Life camp. Kevin Mialamu uh, has been deemed unfit to fight due to a heart condition yesterday at a routine medical checkup. It was discovered that uh, Mialamu has a medical heart condition, unable to fight. An ECG test confirmed he has an irregular heartbeat as part of a heart condition called atrial fibrillation. AF can present without symptoms and patients do not know they have the condition until it comes up in a routine checkup. So that's quite a timely reminder uh, for everyone out there. It's important to note Kevin has been feeling a million dollars, quote marks, but after a routine checkup with his former Blues rugby doctor, Stephen Carter, yesterday it was revealed that he is unfortunately unfit to fight. It's pretty. It's sad, really, Smithy, because obviously uh, Kevin's worked tirelessly uh, to prepare himself for the main event against Wairangi Kopu. But now the matchup between Carlos Spencer and Paul Fatuera has been elevated to that main event. Oh, Carlos, okay. Uh, that'll be a good fight anyway. That'll be great fights. Um, looking forward to it, actually. But that's really sad news because uh, when Kevin Mialami puts his mind to anything, uh, generally it goes pretty well. And, of course, you only have to look at his stellar rugby career to suggest that. So sad news for Kevin. I hope the, uh, the health is good in the long run, and that, of course, is the most amazing thing. Uh, we're a little late for the news, but that's uh, no problem at all. We'll fit that in. Uh, we'll also fit in uh, Stump Smithy, 0800 150 811. If you make the call now, then Niv is waiting for you um, on the other end of the headphones, and he'll make a decision who's allowed to play first this morning. So uh, call Niv on 0800 150 811. Uh, speak nicely to him. He might uh, shunt you up the order. In the meantime, we shall have uh, the 1132 edition of the news here with Araha. Yes, it is time for Stumped here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. But before we get you padding up and grabbing your bats, Smithy, I just want to hark back to yesterday's Stumped. Someone from the Tasman Marco Mm. clearly listens to the show because they made mention of the fact that uh, you picked that James Lowe played for Waikato and not for Tasman and uh, would like a formal apology. A formal apology? Big, okay, because he's Nelson born, Nelson raised, and playing in a, a Nelson. Con- I mean, I was Nelson born, Nelson raised. So, are they suggesting I should have known that? I should have known that. Look, I, yes. I actually went out for um, uh, a little function last night, and a couple of young lads who were uh, at the function as well. When I say young lads, are uh, probably uh, twenty-seven to twenty-eight years of age. They might even be a bit older, but they act a lot younger. 
Uh, both reminded me that I got that wrong. So it's amazing, isn't it? So I apologise. I, I do apologise uh, for that. Um, but um, I make no other apologies. And because of that, you've just put me in a pretty shitty mood. And so I'm trying extra hard this morning. So who, who we got? Good, Who's going to suffer? Good. I love it, Smither. You're fired up. Let, let's do this, mate. Let's do this. Uh, up for grabs today is $100, a TAB bonus bet. First out the crease, we have Brenton from Auckland. Come in, mate. How are you, brother? Good, mate. You've, you've yeah. heard that now. You heard Smithy. He's ready to go. He, I think he's cracked some knuckles. Oh, he's... Okay, radio, Brent. <laughs> yeah, okay, Brenton. Well, I'm ready for you. So what are the subjects today, Hello? please, Logan? All right, the subjects for you, Brenton, and for you, Smithy, are the Ranfilly Shield, the Commonwealth Games, and boxing. Take your pick. Oh, I'll go. I'm game. Com Games, all right, let's go. Of course, <laughs> they are creeping up on us very quickly, the Birmingham uh, Commonwealth Games there. First question for you, Brenton. Who was New Zealand's flag bearer for the opening ceremony at the 2018 Commonwealth Games? Go Lisa Carrington, old guy. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, your first chance for a stumping. Oh, it's going to... I'm torn between two. I'm torn between uh, Valerie and I'm torn between Nick Willis. I'll take Nick Willis. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Of course, she's a dame now. Dame Sophie Pascoe was our flag bearer for the opening ceremony. Oh, right. Okay, good luck. Well done, Sophie. Okay. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Second question. Who was the captain for the Tall Blacks in the men's basketball tournament at those Gold Coast Commonwealth Games? Uh, I'm going to go... Abercrombie. One of the worst things... I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. Sorry, mate. As much as I do admire Thomas Abercrombie, not the captain. Smithy, over to you. Okay, I, I think this guy retired in 2019. I uh, could be barking up this completely and utterly wrong gum tree here, but I'm going to say Kirk Penny. One of the worst things I have oh, ever seen geez. done on a cricket field. When you said retired, Smithy, I thought you were really you were going to smash this one and knock those bales off. Mika Vakona was the answer I was looking for. Oh. Oh, Mika Vakona. Okay, fair enough. Hey, Brendan, you're we're still... Going, we're going well here, Smithy. <laughs> None from four. <sighs> well, oh, I don't know if I'll... We'll, we'll see how we go off this last question, okay? At those, 20, at those 2018 Com Games, where did Joe Edwards finish in the women's singles for Lawn Bowls? She is a New Zealander, by the way. Yeah. She is. Um, I'm going to say, did she win it? Did she win it? I'm going to say she won it. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Yeah. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, she sure did. Gold medal for yeah. uh, for Joe Edwards there, South Africa's uh, Colette Pickett got the bronze and Wales, Laura Daniels, the silver. So, didn't get the last ball Jenny. through to you, Smithy. Brenton wins. Yeah, congratulations, Brenton. Uh, just stay on the line there. Niv will get uh, all your details off you. We'll get that 50 bucks to you. Yeah, uh, well done on that. Um, uh, Joe Anna Edwards, born 
Chat and Clatterbridge in England. There you go. I thought she might have been a Nelson girl, but I might be getting her confused with someone. But born in Clatterbridge in England because uh, apparently, um, Logan, if you, if you don't acknowledge people from Nelson, you get in trouble on this show. So I've just been very careful. I thought Joe Edwards might have been out of Nelson. Uh, Brendan, congratulations to you. We'll have another stump smithy at the same time tomorrow morning. Cheers, boy. Have a great day, Brendan. Thank you. Uh, and we'll be back here on SENZ with uh, a lot more of your texts. Um, and there are plenty of them still coming in on the issues around the All Blacks in particular. Right, uh, a number of uh, texts that uh, have come in this morning, and we should continue to read them out because, of course, you've uh, bothered to send them in. Uh, hey, Smithy, the most is this the most? Uh, yeah, well, we've done that one. Sorry, with uh, TJ. I believe um, women's rugby quarterfinals could still be scheduled for Dunedin, Wellington, Christchurch, and Hamilton. Um, so that's cool. Uh, they do have to, uh, for me, they, they do have to uh, look at, at shunting it around the country. Uh, Smithy, I think a few people are getting caught up thinking it's going to be an expensive process removing the current coaching staff. The cost of removing the current lot is nothing compared to what we will lose if we continue on this slippery slope. You can't tell me that we would have this Silver Lake deal if we have had Foster for the last 10 years. We need to make a move now to protect this awesome brand we have built up over years of dominance on the world rugby stage. And that is from Sean. Uh, Smithy, no one you have named, and this is yesterday when we came up with our, um, our Mount Rushmore when I nominated mine, um, and I included in that lot uh, Ian Foster um, and, of course, Joe Smith in there with Leon McDonald, Mike Cron uh, were part of it as well. Um, Smithy, no one you have named has, uh, and uh, yeah, Clayton McMillan has, has won anything at a high level. I would keep Mike Cron and McDonald, but McMillan and Foster have... Um, not really won anything as a head coach, and, and that's from Nick P. I understand that, Nick. I really do. Um, and I, I just think you're looking at a mix here. And what you've got to do, you've got to make sure, uh, and I think this is the absolute must in this whole process, that every one of those coaches, everyone that walks into that room from now on, whoever it is, must have the ultimate respect and belief and trust of the players. If you have, uh, are not going to make any changes and that is in existence right now, you have an issue. You're never going to fix your problem. So you must be guaranteed that everyone that walks through that door and says, play for me and I want you to play in this manner, has the respect and the belief of the players. If you have not got that, uh, you're in big trouble. You really are in big trouble. Confidence that the guy telling you what to do knows what he's talking about and he's the best for the job. Uh, that is that is the ultimate, I think, in this process. Um, morning, uh, this is from John, um, and uh, this is one of the ones I saved from yesterday. Happy birthday to Sens. It's been absolute pleasure listening to you guys on the airwaves. Lots of laughs and great insight to the world. Great support uh, you also give to some of our minority sports. As they struggle for recognition, keep up the great work. Uh, cheers. Uh, John, and that's one of the things I've liked about it in the last 12 months uh, is uh, talking to the minority sports. Um, I totally um, concur with you, uh, and women's sport in particular, we've tried to, um, uh, to give them uh, a, a really big hearing, because uh, we should, because uh, it's probably at the moment the hottest ticket when you consider the Cricket Women's World Cup, absolutely outstanding. Uh, the Rugby Women's World Cup, fantastic, and next year the biggest one of the lot in terms of worldwide coverage, and worldwide recognition as to how New Zealand can host such big events is this. I mean, bigger, uh, I think, than the Commonwealth Games, bigger than... Probably um, tantamount to a Rugby World Cup, I think. Very close to that. 
perhaps uh, with a, a bigger viewing audience around the world and the prospect of more and more people coming to uh, our magnificent country uh, to share in uh, our natural resources, etc., on the back of uh, this uh, Women's World Cup. Uh, honestly, the, the viewing numbers for women's sport are going through the roof, in particular for women's football. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this event is going to be super, super in terms of its uh, the way it plans out and the super in terms of the way that it is covered. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I so absolutely so look forward to it. Um, here's an interesting thing. It must be hot in London. Man, it must be hot in London because Lords relaxed, have relaxed its strict pavilion dress code today with members not required to wear jackets as temperatures soared into the mid-30s Celsius for the start of the county championship match between Middlesex and Sussex. Much of Britain is gripped in a heat wave with temperatures forecast to hit 40 degrees. Uh, the spokesperson said from the MCC, uh, the MCC has advised us that the dress regulations in the pavilion will be relaxed on Tuesday, June the 19th. Gentlemen in the pavilion on that day will not be required to wear a jacket, although the MCC still require gentlemen to wear ties. Spectators should also adhere to the usual dress regulations on trousers and on shoes as well. Mm, interesting. Several horse racing events have been cancelled in Britain because of the heat wave. And the stifling heat has also led to two county championship games between Gloucester and Hampshire and Northants and Lancashire having three reduced length 90-minute sessions with play finishing at 4.30 in the interest of spectator and player welfare. Man, that is hot. That is very hot. What is also hot is Staffy's show in the afternoon. We'll talk about that very shortly. Right, uh, it's uh, 11.55 here, uh, coming up 11.56 actually. Uh, Mark Stafford, uh, of course, joins us. John, I'd just like to thank you for your text that has just come in very late. Uh, thank you very much for those comments. Really do appreciate it. Um, we appreciate your support as well, as to all our listeners and texters, etc. over the last 12 months and one day. And Staff, this uh, one day has uh, started off very interestingly with, uh, of course, more flack being pointed at uh, the All Black setup and uh, in particular... Joe Malcolm coming out. Now, I know Joe Malcolm. You know Joe Malcolm. Yeah. Um, I, I just wonder if Joe Malcolm's the messenger here and the old adage, don't shoot the messenger. So many. Oh, this book has so many pages, Smithy, but um, I, I just want a little bit more clarity. And, like, geez, what a panel you had today. I was just glued to the, mm. two, the two men and just people, people are accusing media of attacking coach and captain we're not we're just asking for answers and there's gonna be hard questions smithy and i don't know if you heard on my show yesterday i had jimmy smith on and i and i just said to him the equivalent is the australian cricket team getting beaten 2-1 at home by the west indies for the first time in a gazillion years and the coach says i'm not doing a presser i said how would the media treat that and he said hung drawn and quartered yeah, absolutely hung, drawn and quartered. You're talking about uh, Brad Lewis and um, Sam Ackerman, and the reason why is because they've been hurt themselves. And, you know, the media are uh, starting to, uh, the Empire's starting to, to bounce back a wee bit here because of that reaction. And you can't, the, the thing about the media is that you, you have to have a relatively good relationship with them, and you have to understand that they understand you're going to win, lose, and draw uh, at certain stages. Uh, but as you say, questions have to be answered. Um, you, you don't. Uh, there's been some very powerful people in sport that have tried to uh, ignore the media, beat the media, punish the media, and uh, most of them don't succeed. It's a it's a battle that you. 
probably cannot win in the end. No, I, I go back a few years ago, and I think it was Mark Hammett when he took over as coach of the Hurricanes. In his very first team meeting, he said, the media are our friends because our media talk to our fans. They are the conduit between us and the fans. So if you're asked to do an interview, do it. Go and say hello to them after trainings. And it just and I was a stringer for Sky Sport back then, Smithy, and uh, I used to go to the Tuesday trainings and grab some interviews, and it was such a pleasant environment. And there was openness, yeah. honesty, and better stories were written because they were informed and felt welcome, not on the outer. It's about respect, Steph. It's about respect. You, you respect the fact he's got a job to do um, and Mark Hammett, and uh, they've got to respect that you got a job to do in the media. It's about respect for roles, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and this is a cycle. The All Blacks will be good again. We know that. They might be good again very shortly. Um, but in the meantime, just answer the questions and move on. Right, I, speaking of that, you've got Midday Madness. Subject today? Yeah, I just want to ask the people. So uh, me and Sam are going to take our media hats off and just say, we want to know what the listeners, who are the unofficial stakeholders of New Zealand Rugby, what they think of the New Zealand Rugby Union as a company. I'm not talking Foster and Kane and and uh, people being played out of position. We've done that to death. But the New Zealand Rugby Union, what, what's your relationship with them? Is there faith? Is there distrust? Is there trust? Is there good out there still for the New Zealand Rugby Union? So our listeners, I want to know what they feel about New Zealand Rugby Union. Okay, Steph, I'll listen to uh, the reaction from... Uh your listeners for that uh, fantastic show looming there, folks, with a lot of opinion. It's deep-seated. It's hurting a lot of people, um, and it's pissing a lot of people off, to be fair. So it'll be fixed, and by this time tomorrow, we might have some answers. We shall hope so. Thanks very much, uh, Niv, uh, today. Thank you, Aroha, and, of course, Logan, for putting the show together. It's been great. See you tomorrow morning, same time, 9 o'clock. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.